Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors meeting for today, Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Clerk Calvillo, can you please call the roll? Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Chan. Present. Chan present. Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Dorsey present. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio present. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman not present. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar present, Supervisor Peskin. Present. Peskin present, Supervisor Preston. Preston present, Supervisor Ronan. Ronan present, Supervisor Safai. Safai present, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie present, Supervisor Walton. Walton present, and Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman present. Mr. President, all members are present. Thank you. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors acknowledges we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to Madam Clerk, do you have any communications or announcements? Yes, Mr. President, we have. Uh, the, the Board of Supervisors welcomes all persons interested in this meeting to attend in person here in the Board's Legislative Chamber, room 252nd floor in City Hall. This meeting is airing live on SFGOV-TV's uh, Channel 26, or you may view the live stream at www.sfgovtv.org. As, uh, as an alternative to being present, you may submit your public comment in writing by uh, email to bos at sfgov.org, or you may send written comments via U.S. Postal Service to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the number one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, City Hall, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you need to request a reasonable accommodation under ADA or request language assistance, please contact the clerk's office at least 48 business hours in advance by calling 415-554-5184. Our office will make every effort to accommodate all language requests as logistically feasible as LEP vendors are not always available at the last minute. And an announcement, Mr. President, we did receive a memo from you a moment ago. Do you have a copy of the memo? Declaring a special board meeting uh, to, uh, of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to occur on Monday, November 20th at 9 a.m. to consider file number 230986. That is the file number for the subject matter of the Municipal Transportation Agency Charter Amendment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Could you please read the first item? Item one, this is an ordinance to waive the administrative code's competitive bidding requirements and all other requirements in the administrative environment or other parts of the municipal codes as applied to a commodities, uh, commodities purchase 
to authorize the Airport Commission to procure up to 14 used compressed natural gas transit buses from the City of Phoenix, which owns and operates Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport for 350000 Roll call. On item one, Supervisor Walton. Walton, I. Supervisor Chan. Chan, I. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, I. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, I. Supervisor Mandelman. I. Mandelman, I. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, I. Supervisor Peskin. I. Peskin, I. Supervisor Preston. Preston, I. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, I. Supervisor Safayi. Safagi, I, and Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, I. There are 11 eyes. The ordinance is passed on, is finally passed. Next item, please. Item two. This item, pursuant to California Government Code, uh, to approve on final passage of this next ordinance, this matter requires a vote of two-thirds or eight votes of all members. Item two is an ordinance to call and provide for a special election to be held in San Francisco on Tuesday, March 5th, 2024, for the purpose of submitting to the San Francisco voters a proposition to incur $300 million of bonded debt to finance the construction, development, acquisition, or rehabilitation of rental affordable housing to include workforce housing and senior housing for households ranging from extremely low income to moderate income households and to cover related costs necessary or convenient uh, for the purpose of the bonds and to authorize landlords to pass through 50% of the resulting property tax increase to the residential tenants under Administrative Code Chapter 37 and to provide for the levy and collection of taxes by both principal and interest on such bonds and to incorporate the provisions of the Administrative Code relating to the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee's review of affordable housing bond expenditures and to set certain procedures and requirements for the election and to affirm the secret determination and to make the appropriate findings. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and I want to thank every member of this Board of Supervisors for co-sponsoring uh, this bond, uh, as well as Mayor Breed uh, is about as unanimous as it can get. Uh, it, according to the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office, uh, will build some 1,500 units of much-needed affordable housing at moderate, low, very low, and extremely low rates, um, and I think is really part of our imperative to uh, express San Francisco values by having a just and equitable uh, housing um, diversity in the city and county of San Francisco. Our work really begins today. Uh, we now have to convince over two-thirds of the electorate uh, to vote for this as it hits the ballot. But this is, as I said before, a very auspicious beginning, and I want to thank all of you for standing up for seniors, for standing up for women, for standing up for low-income people who uh, need to be a part of San Francisco. Uh, with that, I believe, given that everybody has co-sponsored this, I can take it same house, same call. The ordinance is finally passed. Next item, please. Item three, this is an ordinance to amend the administrative code to increase the fees imposed by the Department of Administrative Services for reproduction and notary services provided to the public 
and to authorize the controller to make future adjustments to ensure that costs of providing the services are recovered without producing revenue, which is significantly more than such costs. Same house, same call. The ordinance is finally passed. Next item. Item four, this is an ordinance to deappropriate 377,000 from general city responsibility and 150,000 from the Municipal Transportation Agency for a total of 527,000 and to reappropriate to District 7 projects and services within various departments. Supervisor Melgar. Uh, thank you, uh, President Peskin. Uh, colleagues, Every year, uh, the District 7 office asks community members to submit ideas on how to improve their neighborhoods. Um, these projects must contribute to the District 7's uh, community resilience, public safety, children, seniors, uh, Vision Zero goals, or disaster preparedness. It takes a lot of work from our staff uh, to pull this off, but I think it's well worth it because it involves people in the community and the running of democracy and how to beautify the neighborhood and make and support people uh, in how they live together. So uh, this reflects the outcome of that process for this year. Um, it, it includes 17 will, um, winning projects, among them a mural on Clarendon Pedestrian Bridge, uh, traffic calming near Slowhurst, and a rainy day fund for small businesses. Um, I wanna thank the many, many folks in District 7 who participated, and I thank you all for your support. Thank you. Seeing no other names on the roster, let's take this same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item five. Item five is an ordinance to amend the health code regulating medical specimen test collection sites. Same house, same call. The ordinance is finally passed. Next item. Oh, yeah. Actually, why don't you read item seven and eight together? Uh, six, seven, and eight together. Items six through eight comprise three resolutions that pertain to the real estate department's director of property with the following departments. Item six is a resolution to retroactively approve and authorize the director of property to execute a fourth amendment to a lease of real property located at 716 through 720 Sacramento Street with 716 Sacramento LLC and DLS Sacramento LLC at an annual base rent of 370,000 and 3% annual increases for an uh, initial term July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2026 and two one-year options to extend. Item seven, this resolution authorizes and approves the lease of a portion of the real property located at 2205 Jennings Street with the co-trustees or successor trustees of the John Daniel Harney and Bernadette <coughs> Patricia Harney Revocable Living Trust under an agreement dated August 13, 1987, as community property, NMM1495 Wall LP, a California Limited Partnership, for an initial three-year term at an annual base rent of approximately 264,000 plus 3% annual increases to the base rent, plus one five-year extension option to further extend the term of the lease. And item eight, this resolution authorizes and approves the lease of real property located at 42 Golf Street with Golf Club LLC for a third year term at an initial base rent of 44,000 per year with an annual rent increase based on the consumer price index of 3% to 5% 
with a one uh, option to extend for one year. Same house, same call. The resolutions are adopted. Next item. Item 9, this resolution retroactively approves the fiscal year 2022 HAPWA Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS Permanent Supportive Housing Renewal Grant from the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development for $1.5 million and authorizes the mayor to accept and expend this uh, renewal grant and uh, for the, per the term June 1st, 2023 through May 31st, 2026. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 10, resolution to retroactively authorize the Office of Contract Administration to execute a third modification to a contract with Bar None Auction for as-needed auction services to extend the duration by one year, October 1st, 2023, uh, through September 30th, 2024, with a new anticipated revenue amount of $2.9 million. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 11. This resolution <clears throat> retroactively authorizes the Department of Public Health to enter into a participation agreement for county-based Medi-Cal administrative activities, effective July 1, 2019, to remain in full force and effect until terminated by either the Department of Public Health or the California Department of Health Care Service with an anticipated revenue to the city of $1 million or more. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 12. This resolution retroactively authorizes the Department of the Environment to accept and expend an approximately $600,000 grant for a term of three years from September 12, 2023 through September 11, 2026 from the United States Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office to expand an electric bicycle pilot for delivery workers. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, uh, President Peskin. And uh, first off, just wanted to make sure, uh, I believe I'm a sponsor of this, wanted to make sure that I'm added on the, on the file. And also wanted to just give a little context as this connects to some other work uh, and recognize Chair Chan's uh, leadership on this as well. Um, so, so this grant from the U.S. Department of Energy um, is an exciting addition to the work that the city is doing um, around uh, transitioning deliveries uh, from cars to uh, e-bikes. Back in September, my office partnered with uh, LAFCO, uh, and, and thank you, LAFCO Chair uh, Chan, uh, and the Department of Environment also to announce the second cohort of the city's electric bike delivery pilot program to reduce emissions and traffic congestion. And that was after successfully winding down the first uh, cohort that was very successful. This was inspired by a LAFCO uh, emerging mobility labor study um, and has really been championed uh, and implemented by SF Environment. And I want to make sure they get uh, the recognition and credit for, for the incredible work in support of this. This is intended to support mode shift by studying the benefits of transitioning deliveries away from cars to more sustainable forms of transportation. Um, and the item before us today allows for a significant expansion of these efforts uh, to enhance an already operating um, pilot program operated by uh, SF Environment by providing an additional uh, $605,000, which will more than double the study from uh, 30 delivery 
bikes uh, participants to, to up to 80 bike participants. And with the first round's early success, uh, the second round launch, and now with this third round expansion, we can further prove that we can shift deliveries successfully from cars to e-bikes. And I should note that what the LAFCO study showed is that uh, delivery drivers are eager um, by a, a majority uh, of delivery drivers are eager to transition to electric bikes if given the opportunity, and this has uh, potential to dramatically reduce uh, congestion and emissions in our city. So I continue to believe we should be ramping up this program to the greatest extent possible. I want to thank uh, the mayor's office, Supervisor Mandelman, Department of Environment, LAFCO, uh, and as I mentioned, LAFCO Chair Chan for her leadership on this and for all the support uh, to, to make this shift uh, from cars to e-bikes. Thank you. And your co-sponsorship will be noted. Seeing no other names on the roster, we will take this same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. M Mr. President, I'll, I'll just state that your staff, Supervisor Preston, did provide that to us, but after the publication of the agenda. That's why it's Thank right you. Here. But we have it in our records. Thank you, Madam okay. Clerk. Next item, please. Item 13. This is a resolution to affirm San Francisco's compliance with certain state housing laws in support of the Municipal Transportation Agency's application for funding by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's OBAG-3, the One Bay Area Grant Program. Supervisor Preston. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. Um, colleagues, I understand the resolution before us today is required in order for the city to be eligible for funding uh, from the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's One Bay Area Grant Program. And on the substance of uh, the resolution and the confirmation that the board concurs as laid out in the ordinance that the city will comply with various state housing laws, uh, I take no issue whatsoever. Um, but I am deeply troubled by um, what a part of this that reads to me um, as a defeatist approach to meeting our affordable housing goals. And I'm concerned about the board signing off on the language as is. Um, specifically, the second whereas clause acknowledges uh, that the Bay Area failed to reach its affordable housing goals in the previous uh, 2015 to 2022 uh, cycle, and that the region, and I quote, will likely underproduce low-income units during the 2023 2031 time period, close quote. Um, this reads to me like uh, a white flag, a tacit admission that we intend to fall short of our goals. Um, and I've repeatedly demanded a plan from this administration on how we will meet our uh, low income and affordable housing targets uh, and have received a series of excuses in response and never a plan. So of course, uh, colleagues, we will need help from our regional, statewide, and federal partners. Um, but I also think we can and absolutely should be committing additional local resources to reach our goals, and failure should not be an option when it comes to meeting our affordable housing goals that we all agreed to in our housing element. Um, I'll remind the board that since passing Prop I in 2020, we've generated nearly $300 million uh, from that measure alone. And while this board has generally found success in allocating these funds to their intended housing purposes, uh, we have been fought every step of the way by this administration. And in the most recent budget cycle, even had $20 million in previously allocated Prop I affordable housing funds removed from their 
uh, purpose by the administration. Um, as written, the whereas clause uh, accepts a state of failure for our affordable housing efforts and seems to abdicate the role our local government can and should play in providing these funds we need and demanding regional and state assistance as needed. So uh, with that, uh, colleagues, I have uh, circulated amendments uh, and propose uh, that we make the following changes on page one, line 10, strike the words, quote, will likely on page one, lines 10 and 11, uh, add the words, quote, absent the commitment of additional funding from local, regional, state, and, and or federal sources, the Bay Area is at risk of, close quote, and page one, line 11, replace underproduce with uh, underproducing. So with these changes, the sentence at issue, instead of reading that we, quote, will likely underproduce low-income units during the 2023-2031 time period, will instead read that, quote, absent the commitment of additional funding from local, regional, state, and or federal sources, the Bay Area is at risk of underproducing low-income units during the 2023-2031 uh, time period. So I've clarified with City Attorney these amendments are not substantive in nature uh, and have confirmed with the MTA and TA staff that these changes will not interfere with City eligibility for MTC funding. I've also notified the sponsor of our intent to move these amendments. So I'd like to move those amendments. Thank you. Motion made by Supervisor Preston to amend, second by Supervisor Chan. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, thank you, uh, just wanna thank uh, Supervisor Preston for bringing this forward. Colleagues, just a reminder of this um, resolution before us today um, is to allow, it's just really to affirming our commitment to housing element um, so that we can go before uh, MTC to apply for the grant, uh, which has been consistently bringing us about $20 million to the city and county of San Francisco. Um, for one, for the west side, I would say that it also bring improvements for the 29 Sunset uh, bus line. So I think that um, it is in our best interest to continue to uh, make sure that we are in a strong position to apply for the grant funding. Um, and I, I, I actually, do have uh, concern about this as well, uh, though I have uh, from a different perspective and just wanted to point to you colleagues that, you know, the language such as indicating that we will be um, with all these laws uh, that come, you know, that come from the states, we, we are committing ourselves to, to comply to these laws as exist now or maybe amend it in the future. Um, so, you know, I think it's a commitment that San Francisco is showing that we are going to work with the state uh, and comply to state laws to build housing. Um, but I think at times that in the best interest of San Francisco, we may want to reconsider our position again and again when state law do amend itself. So just a reminder, but I do think that overall that it just make us a, in a, put us in a stronger position to apply for grant um, and then we we will come back and be able to revisit this uh, at a later date uh, in the events that laws change um, so with that I am in support of to just articulating how we do need uh, actual fundings in order for us to build housing and it's the reason why I think the budget and finance committee will continue to the conversation both first uh, with your support today, voted the housing bond at 300 million, that's gonna come in March ballot, but we also look forward to seeing uh, a regional housing bond this November, uh, so that we can continue to advance our housing element goal, but most importantly, to build affordable housing in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no other names on the roster, can we take the amendments without objection? The amendments, the motion passes. 
adopting the amendments and on the item as amended, same house, same call, the resolution is adopted as amended. Next item, please. Item 14, this is a resolution to authorize the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to expend 99000 in SOMA Community Stabilization Fund dollars to engage a consultant team in developing a new five-year strategic plan to address various impacts of destabilization on residents and businesses in the SOMA. Same house. Same call, the resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 15, resolution to approve the memorandum of understanding between the Friends and Foundation of the San Francisco Public Library and the San Francisco Public Library to establish roles and responsibilities of each party for purposes of fundraising, enhancing operations, and capital projects for a 10-year term. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 16, ordinance to approve the airport surveillance technology policies governing the use of application-based commercial transport technology, electric toll readers, and detection systems for gunshots and other noises. Same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 17, motion to approve the mayor's nomination for appointment of Kent Lim to the successor agency commission term ending November 3rd, 2026. Same house, same call. The motion is approved. Next item, please. Item 18 was referred without recommendation from the rules committee. 18 is a charter amendment, third draft to amend the charter of the city and county of San Francisco to define full-duty sworn officers for purposes of establishing minimum staffing levels for sworn officers of the police department. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, simply because this is an, an item that I know has had a lot of email and high interest, I did want to just clarify, if I might, that this is a procedural vote today um, that is simply to continue the item to the next board meeting, uh, presumably in two weeks. And for the good of the order, my vote for this is not an expression of support on, for the merits of the Charter Amendment. Um, I will have more to say about that when we get to the decisive vote, but I just wanted to, um, to clarify that because I think uh, there are folks watching who may not be familiar with the process. <clears throat> Thanks. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. And there has been some back and forth about whether or not we need a motion to continue, although that is the question that is before us but out of an abundance of making various people happy. Is there a motion to continue this item one week made by Supervisor Safai? Mr. President, yes. two weeks to... I'm sorry, two weeks. My apologies to uh, our next regularly scheduled meeting of November 28th. 28th. Is there a motion to that effect made by Supervisor Safai, seconded by Supervisor Walton and colleagues? We will take that same house, same call. The item is continued to November 28th. Madam Clerk, can you go to committee reports? Item 22. Item 22. 
The uh, item 22 was considered by the Land Use and Transportation Committee at a regular meeting on Monday, November 13th, uh, and uh, was sent as a committee report. It's an ordinance to amend the planning code to create the nonprofit arts education special use district and to amend the zoning map to show the nonprofit arts education special use district and to affirm the secret determination and to make the appropriate findings. Same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item. Uh, items 23 and 24 were considered by the Rules Committee at a regular meeting on Monday, November 13th. Item 23 was sent as a committee report. It is a motion to order submitted to the voters at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024, a declaration of policy urging the San Francisco Unified School District to offer Algebra 1 to students by the eighth grade and to support the SFUSD in its efforts to develop its math curriculum for students at all grade levels. Advisor Walton. Thank you so much, President Peskin. Colleagues, I let this come out of committee uh, yesterday because I wanted the opportunity to make my statements in front of the full board uh, and the full, full public. But one, I want to thank everyone who came out for public comment yesterday to speak on this in person. Uh, and, and my comments really have nothing to do with the philosophy about whether or not you believe when someone should actually take algebra or have opportunity to take algebra. Although, even under the current policy, you do have the opportunity to, to take algebra at the appropriate time. But I do have to say that this body has no jurisdiction over FUSD whatsoever, and that this ballot measure, should it pass, would not be enforceable whatsoever. Uh, and as the only member here, I believe, elected to serve on the Board of Education, I know that this is a policy matter for that body. Furthermore, I understand that the superintendent has already promised to include algebra in the eighth grade moving forward, and they're working on the plan for that. So I have no idea the purpose of this ballot measure. Uh, I do believe that the families in the district and leadership have actually worked this out, and that is how district policy should be developed by working together. I don't like misleading the voters uh, and making them think that we're putting something on the ballot that actually has any teeth or that actually does anything because this measure does not do anything. Um, and I do want to say to all of the folks who made the disgusting commentary about poor people can learn or people of color can learn, I want to know who in the hell said they couldn't. Um, but I do want to reiterate, and let me just state this, that this is a policy matter for the Board of Education. And I'll read to you the Board of Education responsibilities since we decided that the Board of Supervisors is the place to have this conversation. The Board of Education responsibilities are establishing educational goals and standards. What do you know? Approving curriculum. Setting a district budget, which is independent of the city's budget. Confirming appointment of all personnel approving purchases of equipment, supplies, services, leases, renovation, construction, and union contracts, appointing a superintendent of schools to manage the day-to-day -day administration of the district. All of these fall under the Board of Education's parameters. Uh, I do think that, obviously, as a city, we provide support to the district. Education is important to all of us. 
Some of us have actually raised children who've graduated from SFUSD. Uh, but you know, if we are going to take up policy issues that we can get involved with, uh, I would think we will be working on trying to address teacher shortages, especially in special education and, and bilingual education, and guess it, math positions, maybe the payroll issues that exist, violence in schools, the budget cuts that are taking place, declining enrollment. I really would love for us to focus on the things that are going to achieve equity and make sure that all of our children have opportunities to success when attending SFUSD schools versus putting arbitrary ballot measures on the ballot to play politics in this chamber when we have real things to focus on that we actually can solve as members of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, so again, I let it come out of committee, but there's no way I will be supporting an arbitrary ballot measure. Thank you, President Peskin. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Ingardio. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, yes, it is true that we do not control the school district, but all of the parents in San Francisco and their children are our constituents, and they want their voice heard, and they care about this issue, and this is an opportunity for the voters of San Francisco to have their say and to tell the school district there is a mandate for eighth grade algebra. Um, it is true that the school district has started a committee to look into returning algebra to the eighth grade, but we all know the history of committees. They tend to go off the rails or they don't deliver what they are supposed to deliver on time. So this is something the parents are asking for, they want, they need, they need their voice heard. And I think it's absolutely appropriate uh, to let the voters say um, that it makes sense to have algebra by the eighth grade in San Francisco. Thank you, Supervisor Ingardio. Supervisor Safai. Thank you, uh, President Peskin. Thank you. Um, listen, I understand that this is an issue that has been discussed in our city for some time, but I do believe that um, in this instance, it's important to put this in front of the voters of San Francisco. I think there's a lot of families. Um, one of the things uh, Supervisor Walton talked about was declining enrollment. One of the reasons why families, some families choose to leave uh, the school district at certain points is because of exactly that, the lack of, of these kind of things that are offered. And I, and I can tell you that multiple families with means are forced to use tutors, are forced to go out and get additional resources and support uh, to take algebra, um, not necessarily offered in the schools. And I understand the original intent of it, and I think the original intent was designed to to create a, a more a level playing field, but the data has shown the opposite. I think the achievement gap has grown. And, you know, just reflecting back on my time as a math tutor, I worked with an organization called the Algebra Project. So this is very personal for me. I went into the schools, worked with the school teachers and supported them in their efforts to to advance math opportunities for all children from every single socioeconomic background um, that were traditionally being tracked out of uh, the proper college level math track. So I think this is important to put in front of the voters of San Francisco. I think they're overwhelmingly going to say this is something that we want. I'm glad to hear that the school district is saying that they're in favor of it, but I agree with Supervisor Engardio. Uh, we're not necessarily sure of the timeline of that when the implementation date will be, and if the elected body of the school district sees that an overwhelming majority 
is in favor of something like this, I think that it will encourage them to move a little bit quicker than they might have otherwise. Um, I think it's intended to support. And just to add on um, to Supervisor Walton's point, I mean, we, we do property taxes to, in, to pay for teacher salaries. We do the public education enrichment fund from our general fund. We did the student success fund last year um, that, was that is designed to support uh, a lot of these efforts. And so I think this is just another affirmative way, a positive step in the right direction. And hopefully the school district will move quickly to, to resolve this and bring this option back into the middle schools in an in a aggressive manner. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, colleagues. Um, the superintendent has made clear that he's bringing back uh, eighth, um, eighth grade algebra, and I think that that's the right decision. Um, and I will be supporting this today. But I want to talk, it couldn't be better timing because Supervisor <laughs> Melgar and I just got back from a week in Japan uh, where we witnessed uh, several uh, elementary school classrooms teach kids math. And what we saw was nothing short of extraordinary. And the issue that we have not been talking about um, in this highly, I agree with Supervisor Walton, politicized uh, conversation about eighth grade algebra is the fact that we have a opportunities gap in SFUSD that has existed for decades and has not gotten better. Uh, despite the fact that there's been several short-term interventions. So two years ago, I learned that at Muir Elementary School, which is in Supervisor Preston's district, uh, Muir is a school of almost exclusively low-income students of color, African-American and Latine students. Uh, there's no PTA at the school because Oftentimes, parents are working several jobs and, and don't have the resources to be able to uh, put together a PTA. But nonetheless, in a period of three years, the math scores at the school went from 17% of the students being proficient in math to 57% of the students being at grade level in math. And the intervention that Muir did didn't just raise the math scores, but the literacy scores raised similar levels, even though there wasn't a, particularly, a particular literacy intervention. The only intervention that was happening at the school was the math intervention. So the school went from 17 to 57% around the, in, in literacy as well. In three years, to have that amount of change is something we rarely, rarely see at SFUSD. The principal at the time had gone to the school district and said, I mean, we're even shocked by these, the, these scores. Uh, we had no idea that in such a short period of time that um, teaching Japan-style math, which is math by problem solving, uh, together with lesson study, which allows the teachers to constantly improve and analyze their teaching, um, that, this, that our students would improve so greatly. So two years ago, when I was the budget chair, I worked with Muir, and we expanded the style of teaching math to three additional elementary schools. 
that this style had stopped during the pandemic. It's impossible to do this style over the internet. So we restarted at Muir and added three additional elementary schools, Flynn, Sanchez, and Malcolm X Academy. Um, this is the type of work that would not happen without the city's involvement. To say that the city isn't intimately responsible with outcomes in the school district uh, is just not accurate. Um, we may, the partnership between the city and the school district is what makes magic happen. We wouldn't have PEEF, we wouldn't have several of the after-school programs, the Beacon programs, the um, uh, music and art classes in SFUSD if it wasn't for the city. We wouldn't have had community hubs during the pandemic so that the students whose parents were essential workers and had to work uh, had a place to go and wouldn't be left home unattended without the city. And that little project at Muir would not have spread to other schools if it wasn't for the partnership with the city. And by the way, now that we passed Prop G, which once again was the city leading that effort, we have a long-term funding source for this. So the question for me has always been, you know, it's any eighth grader that's ready and excited to take algebra should be able to take it. But that, there's a problem when the only students, uh, for the most part, that are ready to take it are upper, upper income students and uh, students that don't come from uh, commu all communities of color. That's the problem that we need to fix in SFUSD. And that is the problem that we are fixing uh, with uh, emulating Japan problem, math by problem solving and lesson study. That's why Supervisor Melgar and I went to Japan with the district and are working on spreading this. If this works, which by all means, it worked at Muir, there's no reason it shouldn't work and be replicable. That means that the elementary school students at Muir, Sanchez, Malcolm X, and Flynn, the vast majority of whom are African-American and Latinx, are gonna be ready for eighth grade math by the time it returns and by the time they get to eighth grade. And that is something to be proud of. That is something to be excited about. And that is something that has been completely lost in this conversation about eighth grade math. Not because parents of African-American or Latinx students don't care equally about their students' achievement, but because uh, oftentimes uh, when you're working five or six jobs, when you don't feel entitled to, to uh, you know, come and complain about every little thing, your voice doesn't get included in the discussion. And that's the problem that I have with this discussion about eighth grade algebra. It's a certain uh, socioeconomic status of parents at the lead of this, leaving behind uh, the kids that are failing math, quite frankly, in our district that doesn't uh, spend the resources and the attention on on the kids that we should. So I just wanna say I could not be happier uh, that we as a city are partnering uh, with the school district on all of these um, uh, critical issues to our kids. Uh, I also wanna say that the uh, opportunities gap at SFUSD, which is disgusting, if you look at the data, it is 
uh, the same type of data that shows that a city with only 5% African-American uh, population uh, is over 50% of the police stops and 50% of the jail population and, uh, you know, w way overrepresented uh, in, uh, on the streets in homeless encampments. Uh, when we provide the right education for kids in school and they succeed and they excel, we don't have the type of problems that we deal with day in and day out on the streets. This is the type of intervention that makes sense and that absolutely 100% is within the ballywick of the Board of Supervisors. Um, so I just want to say, um, you know, I agree with Supervisor Walton that I don't know how relevant this, this measure is. I, you know, I, I know it, it appears clear as day to me that eighth grade algebra is going to come back. That's a good thing, I agree with that, and so I see no reason not to, to vote for it because I, I think that that's what sh should happen and it is what is going to happen. But I just wanted to bring back the conversation uh, to, to the kids and the voices that have been missing from this conversation and the kids that need a, a, a different type and quality of teaching and education and resources in their schools in order to be ready to take algebra in eighth grade. And we're doing that, and we should feel really proud of it. Thank you, Supervisor Rohn. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin, um, and uh, appreciate the comments from colleagues. Um, you know, I think it is clear curriculum decisions, as uh, Supervisor Walton pointed out, including what classes are offered and which grades um, are within the sole jurisdiction of the school board. Um, that said, I have no issue with voters weighing in to provide guidance, um, as long as we all recognize uh, that the Board of Supervisors' role here is um, quite limited, if existent at all, when it comes to curriculum decisions um, at SFUSD. So um, I am sympathetic to the desire of many parents and students to take algebra in middle school. I will say personally, as a public school parent, uh, I would prefer if it were offered, and I'm encouraged to learn that the school district is moving in that direction. Um, but I do wanna make sure and, and that this debate about algebra in eighth grade, which the school district is already addressing, um, does not overshadow the many serious challenges facing our public schools, many of which have been addressed um, by colleagues, um, including chronic underfunding, severe staffing shortages, what can only be described as a payroll systems disaster that leaves our educators without the pay they have worked so hard to earn, which is already too little. Um, drug use on campus, bullying and violence at schools, and mental health needs of students, and and so on, you know, all of which dramatically impact the quality of education and health and safety of our students and families. And so um, I would just say that I, I really do hope that those who are advocating so strongly for algebra in the eighth grade are advocating with equal or greater vigor uh, for the staffing, the resources, and the support our students, educators, school staff, uh, and family need. Um, and I think it's incumbent on all of us uh, to do that. So on the measure before us today, I'll be voting in support. Thank you.
Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Before I call on Supervisor Walton again, uh, let, let me say uh, that I am generally reticent uh, to urge other elected bodies as to how to do their jobs. But in this particular case, um, there's not only no pushback from the duly elected members of the school board, but some of them are actually encouraging me and or us to vote for this. Uh, and uh, while generally our urgence of other governments, whether it's the state legislature or the United States Congress comes in the form of a resolution passed by this board, given the level of community interest and involvement and the desire to express that on behalf of the voters, I see no reason to vote against this. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, President Peskin. And <clears throat> you know, I do want to be clear, just to provide clarity, like I'm pretty sure all of my colleagues believe that we play a role in the city uh, in supporting the education of our young people. I mean, I've served on the Board of Education. I sat in the rooms to negotiate the reopening of schools after pandemic because of my relationship with the school district as well as the city and county of San Francisco. So no one definitely understands the importance of the partnership more than I do. But I think that what we have here is, that's not the conversation that we're having. We're having a conversation about a policy that the Board of Education and the school district has already decided to support. And this conversation is about what can we do to play a role to let parents know that we hear them, to let parents know that we're supportive of what they feel is important for the education of their children. That part I agree with. But to Supervisor, to President Peskin's point, we could have done that with a resolution to let the entire city and county of San Francisco know that we're supportive of moving forward with a policy that the district has already agreed to. And true partnerships come from working together. They don't come from trying to undermine or giving a false narrative of being able to undermine the authority or decision-making of another body. And in my opinion, this is not how you work together. And so a ballot measure that does absolutely nothing, to me, really makes no sense for us to be having this conversation. And that's just my reality. But I want to make sure that we're clear that this is not about completely understanding that the city and county of San Francisco and us as Board of Supervisors play a role in making sure that our children receive a quality education, nor is it about the policy itself, but it's really about the fact that you know, eating air may feel good, but it absolutely does nothing, just like this measure. All right, on this item, a roll call, please. On item 23, Supervisor Walton. Walton, no, Supervisor Chan. Chan, I, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, I, Supervisor Angardio. Aye. Angardio, I, Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, I, Supervisor Melgar. Aye. Melgar, I, Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, I, Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, I, Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, I, Supervisor Safayi. Aye. Safayi, I, and Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, I. There are 10 ayes and one no, with Supervisor Walton voting no. All right. The uh, now let me find it. Declaration I can of policy. Say the correct words. 
Motion to order submitted to the voters. Right. The matter is submitted. All right. That took a little longer than I thought. Why don't we go to our 2.30 special order commendation starting with Supervisor Engardio. Thank you, President Peskin. So Isaiah Zazi is a new small business owner. Last November, he took ownership of Sunset Auto Care in the Outer Sunset. It's a quiet neighborhood, or was, until the Sunset became the neighborhood with the largest number of catalytic converter thefts. There's a telltale sound when someone starts their car after their catalytic converter has been sawed off. It's loud, very loud. Isaiah knows that sound because he lives only a couple blocks away from his auto repair shop. Every morning, he would wake up and hear that telltale sound in the neighborhood while getting ready for work. He knew what he would have to repair that day. There's a reason why Isaiah has so many five-star ratings since he opened a year ago. He's a hard worker with high standards and offers excellent customer service. And he gives back to the community. That's why Isaiah is being honored today. When I worked with the police department to offer a free program to etch your license number on your catalytic converter, we needed to find service stations willing to help. Isaiah was an eager participant. We also had help from Sunset 76 Auto Repair in Noriega, and we thanked them. But Isaiah went way above and beyond what was asked of him. To keep the program free, we needed service stations willing to volunteer their staff time to do the etching. Now this takes time. You have to put the car up on the hydraulic lift to get access to etch the license plate number on the catalytic converter. And then we also spray painted the SFPD logo on the converter. The idea was deterrence. It's not a guarantee, but if someone's going down the street with a flashlight, if they see the SFPD logo, maybe they'll pass that car by. And if stolen, the etching might make it possible to track the converter to assist police in making an arrest. Residents wanted this. Hundreds signed up within days. Our little pilot program had way more demand than supply. And Isaiah stepped up in an extraordinary way. He has served personally nearly 200 residents for free and continues to do more. Isaiah's work is a testament to the values that define the sunset, resilience, integrity, and community spirit. The only payment Isaiah gets is the satisfaction of helping people. Isaiah is a community hero, and we are honored to recognize you. Isaiah, the floor is yours. Thank you, everybody here. Thank you, Mr. Engardio, for honoring me to be here. I appreciate the, um, the ability <laughs> to be here. Um, yeah, that, that program was, was crazy in the beginning. So many people. <laughs> um, I did see that it made a big difference, though, huge difference. Um, in the beginning, when we first started the program, there was maybe 15, 20 cats being stolen a week. I'd have to do them. It was insane. Um, but ever since, maybe since last month, slow down tremendously. I get maybe two calls. That's it. It's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah. Well done. Thank you.
Supervisor Mandelman. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, could I have the organizers of Castro Halloween 2023 come on up? Cast of thousands. Probably over towards the, yes, microphone. All right. Um, so today I am recognizing the organizers of this year's Castro Halloween. Uh, it's been more than 16 years since the city put the kibosh on Halloween in the Castro. For San Franciscans of a cert certain vintage, and I qualify, Castro Halloween is a magical and bittersweet memory. It was a giant street party, the place to be on Halloween, a regional destination, and an opportunity for extraordinarily creative people to show off their creativity and for the rest of us who were not as creative to marvel at it. But in 2006, a mass shooting injured nine people. In response to the violence that year and frankly increasing challenges in safe, safely producing the event over several years, the city shut it down. And in the years since, a lot of us have wondered whether it would ever be possible to pull off another big Castro Halloween. This year, these folks decided to give it a try. Over the summer, Manny Yakutiel of the Civic Joy Fund convened a bunch of us to explore what a revival of Halloween in the Castro could look like. After lots of discussions with the sisters, neighborhood leaders, merchants and residents, the group came up with a plan for a new big Halloween in the Castro that would be safe, family friendly, and support our local merchants. 2023's Castro Halloween featured a flash mob of zombies dancing to Thriller, face painting at local businesses, trick or treating, drag performances, an all day Halloween movie marathon at the Castro Theater, featuring favorites such as Hocus Pocus and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and for the first time since 1995, the return of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence costume contest. <laughs> Sister Roma. And also, the return of the Cliff's Variety Pie-Eating Contest, an homage to Castro Merchants Association President Terry Aston Bennett's grandfather, who started the original Castro Halloween in the 1940s. The return of the Castro Halloweens of decades past? Well, not exactly. But this year, at last, we started a new big Castro Halloween tradition that I hope we can build on in the years to come. And I wanted to take the opportunity to thank the people who made this happen. Manny Yakutiel and Caleb Hilodakis of the Civic Joy Fund, Terry Aston Bennett and the Castro Merchants, Sister Roma and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, uh, Tina Aguirre and Stephen Torres and the Castro LGBTQ Cultural District, Mary Condi and Landis Dixon of Another Planet Entertainment, and Billy Lemon of the Castro Country Club, and I think I'm leaving some folks out, which Manny will make sure I, I've got everybody. Um, he couldn't be here today, but I also wanted to thank Captain Tom Harvey and the officers of Mission Station for implementing a community safety plan that kept visitors and residents safe throughout the celebration. And I did want to thank Adam Tonksavat in my office, who does not get a certificate because he works for me, <laughs> but, um, but worked really, really hard on this. And with that, um, Manny, you are going to speak briefly for the group. 
How many minutes do I have? Or? Um, well, thank you, Board of Supervisors, and I have the honor of speaking um, as part of this amazing, incredible group, this cast of characters here, uh, that came together to bring Halloween back to the Castro in a way that felt right for the moment. Um, and so all I want to talk about, uh, because there's so much that we could talk about, we could talk about how uh, thousands of dollars went into small businesses um, that needed it. We could talk about the thousands of people that came through uh, uh, the Castro Theater, the fact that my personal best friend won sexiest uh, costume in the costume contest. We're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about uh, is the process uh, that we went through to get to this is something that I'm really, really proud of. Uh, so some of you may know that I have cockamamie ideas from time to time, and sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. And this cockamamie idea was to bring Halloween back to the Castro. Um, so I had individual conversations with, I think, everyone here and got their, their thoughts and their buy-in. And then I gathered people together in Harvey Milk's camera shop, uh, which is now my friend's queer art space. And we all sat in a circle, and there was a little bit of woo-woo. And I went around, and I asked everyone what they thought of the idea of bringing Halloween back to the Castro. And everyone agreed that doing something again felt right, but they didn't want to bring it back the way it was. They didn't want, it, they didn't want to revive what had happened. And so then instead of you know, plunging forward, I took a step back and I said, well, what do we want? What could work? What would be helpful? Uh, what was the spirit of Halloween that we want to bring back? And um, we actually had some amazing conversations. And the one that I'm going to just uh, highlight was in the top of Cliffs. Uh, we sat uh, in, in the top floor of Cliffs, which used to be the original Castro Theater, and I learned about the history of the Halloween in the Castro and how it really was a place and a time for the community to come together and kind of uh, conjure up the queer spirits that have protected the city for so long. And that is what we wanted to bring back. We wanted to focus on small businesses, on the theater, on the community, and on, on, on the queer community in our city. And so we decided to fund 46 businesses uh, hosting their own activations. Um, community theater in the, in, the, in the Castro Theater and to revive the Halloween costume contest uh, to show our true colors. It was really beautiful. I'm really proud that it went off safely and no one got hurt thanks to SFPD and Captain Harvey and Billy Lemon uh, for organizing a set of community volunteers to be in the, Castro, in the Castro throughout the event to have eyes on the street as well as private security that another planet helped us secure. This really was a community effort and it, every single person behind me made it happen. Uh, there was some magic in the air. Rafi and I experienced it. We had to break up a couple, some dancing before it went, got too crazy. Uh, but I'm super proud of it and my hope is that uh, we've created a model that can be self-sustaining and continue this tradition henceforth. So thank you so much for allowing us to do it, Rafi, and thanks to everyone behind me. Madam Clerk, before we go to our 3 p.m. special order, please read our last remaining committee report, item 24. 
Yes, item 24. This item was recommended with a new title to add the names of the appointees. Item 24 is a motion to appoint Christine Unruh, Betty Packard, and Ruth Grace Wong, terms ending November 30th, 2024, to the Ballot Simplification Committee. Roll call. On item 24, Su Supervisor Walton. Walton absent. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman absent. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Safayi, aye. And Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. There are uh, Supervisor Walton. On item 24, this is the uh, Ballot Simplification Committee appointments. And Walton, aye. The motion is approved. I will just state for the record, <laughs> there are 10 ayes. Madam Clerk, could you please go to our 3 p.m. special order, Board of Supervisors sitting as a committee of the whole. Just, yes, items 19 through 21 together comprise the special order at 3 p.m. Item 19 is the public hearing of the board to convene a committee of the whole today uh, to consider item 21, which is, is a charter amendment, second draft, to amend the charter of the city and county of San Francisco to provide that the mayor may disapprove in writing certain SFMTA San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency proposals that must be part of SFMTA's proposed budget or budget amendment, such as fares and parking meter maximum rates and net expansion of hours or days of parking meter operation at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024. And item 20 is the motion to modify the amount of time required under Board Rule 2.22.7 between the first appearance on the Board's agenda and the order of submission to the electorate for the Charter Amendment to provide that the Mayor may disapprove in writing certain SFMTA proposals at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024. Supervisor oh, Thank you, uh, Mr. President. Colleagues, as you know, uh, this Charter Amendment will reform the process for changes to SFMTA fares and meter rates and hours and days of operation for those meters. Um, if you recall, during COVID, there was an attempt by the SFMTA to raise fares on Muni uh, with a tremendous outpouring of concern. Many working families, businesses, and others that rely on uh, public transportation in our city um, expressed deep concern. Uh, there was a halt. Uh, the mayor intervened. More recently, there was a conversation about extending parking meter hours as we're coming out of this uh, recovery and still in economic recession. Again, the mayor uh, intervened. Uh, the SFMTA board is completely uh, appointed by the mayor. And what we do with this charter amendment is call out the process that actually happens uh, in real time. Uh, the mayor is a completely appointed board, has afforded their authority to the executive director. The executive director works with and takes their direction uh, from the mayor of the city and county of San Francisco. Last week, in response to uh, feedback, uh, we made a few amendments uh, intended to target 
the policy of disapproval of, uh, towards increases, fares, parking meter hours, maximum rates, and hours and days of operations uh, rather than uh, approval. And we thought that was a thoughtful amendment. We worked with uh, advocates on that. Something also that there was also the conversation around changes versus increases of something Supervisor Preston and others had asked for uh, in case in the future there might be a desire to work with uh, attempting to have free muni citywide. Uh, we've heard from many working families, uh, small business owners, and everyday San Franciscans who would be affected by the current lack of accountability when it comes to these decision-making and wanting to know who in, uh, in office and in the city uh, they, uh, makes the ultimate decision. So that's really what it's about. Um, I'm not going to spend too much more time reiterating uh, this today uh, for this charter amendment, and I know that there's members of the public that want to comment on this item, so uh, I'll conclude my remarks at this moment here and have more later after we have public comment. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank you President Peskin. Um, so I have concerns both with the policy and the process um, on this charter amendment. First, on the policy, twice in the last quarter century, in 1999 with Proposition E, and then again in 2007 with Proposition A, <clears throat> voters rightly adopted measures that sought to depoliticize SFMTA. Uh, this charter amendment, in my view, moves us in the opposite direction, repoliticizing that agency. Um, this proposal very much feels to me like a solution in search of a problem. It needlessly and in many ways redundantly inserts the mayor into a process that the mayor is already implicitly a, process, a, a part of as the city and county's chief executive. Um, already the mayor's office, the uh, MTA board and its director collaboratively developed MTA's budget and it consists of much more than just fares and parking meter rates. Uh, we all recognize the challenges associated with asking the public to shoulder higher costs for transit services. And we never want to see service cuts made either. Uh, but part of the difficulty of running a department is making difficult policy trade-offs, doing it equitably with the resources we have. And again, the wisdom and purpose of Prop A from 2007 was providing MTA with more independence from interference from this board in order to cut waste, remove politics, and improve efficiencies. Um, in my view, this proposed charter amendment is a step backwards from those goals. Um, I have previously expressed my view that a government's commitment to equity can be measured in how it funds its public transit system. Politicizing fares and service cuts sends a message to our transit department constitu dependent constituents that board politics um, and its feelings about a specific mayor or her or his appointees matter more than their needs. Um, this is exactly what Prop A was attempting to solve. And for those policy reasons, uh, I have not supported and will not be supporting, however this may be amended, uh, this charter amendment. I also have concerns about the process now. As uh, chair of the Rules Committee, I noted that the measure moved quickly out of committee. It seemed clear to me that although the sponsor had not engaged with uh, key stakeholders on uh, his proposed measure, he was clear enough in what he intended to accomplish that there was not a single am amendment offered in its initial appearance in committee not even a comma stricken in a committee process where one would have expected that to happen. For very good reasons, charter amendments are treated differently than other ordinances and resolutions. The 30-day hold cannot be waived and the rules provide for a built-in guarantee time period for stakeholder engagement for the consideration of amendments. There are clear timelines and processes laid out for charter amendments that we are aware of as supervisors. Um, 
These heightened processes reflect the seriousness with which members of this board should undertake uh, policy making when considering amendments to enshrine into our city's charter. To that end, I want to acknowledge and appreciate the, the work that the clerk's office and city attorney have done over the last few months to outline the process and keep supervisors and our staff updated on approaching deadlines, key dates, and other process considerations. Uh, they've sent weekly emails and reports, and in particular, I want to acknowledge the work of Victor Young, our rules committee clerk, and Elisa Samara from the clerk's office on um, their efforts to keep us on track. We all have competing demands on our time and schedules as supervisors. Um, I think it is um, not respectful as it needs to be to the process, to this body, to community stakeholders, and to the public to, pay, to sort of play fast and loose with rules to accommodate um, what, in my view, is poor planning in this charter amendment process or capricious changes of heart to whatever this charter amendment is endeavoring to accomplish. In light of the seriousness that should accompany uh, amendments that we enshrine into our city's charter, um, I will oppose changes to the process to modify the time for submission to this amendment. Supervisor Dorsey, while I respect each and every member of this board's inherent right to have policy differences, let me say as to the process, which I take very seriously, there is nothing untoward or rare about this process. The process requires public comment, and that is precisely why we are all gathered here today in a committee of the whole. There have been many charter amendments that have had changes done at the full Board of Supervisors and not in committee. So we part ways over the process. Everybody is welcome to their own policy views on each and every piece of legislation that comes before us. Uh, I would caution against attempting to change the board rules, to change the process around charter amendments, which, as you said, are sacrosanct and require a lot more process. And indeed, this proposed amendment, which is the subject of this hearing, has been subject to that additional process. With that, let us open up the committee of the whole and open, oh, Supervisor Safai. Yeah, I, I just want to add one point. I just want to be very clear. This in no way uh, impacts uh, future revenue for this department. It simply calls out what is actually happening in real time. Um, and I think we all know if there's a slow street that is controversial, mayor's office intervenes. If there is a conversation about shutting down the great highway, the mayor's office intervenes and the mayor herself. If there is a conversation about fares, if there's a conversation about parking meter hours, the mayor intervenes. That is a very, very clear uh, thing that happens. And so that's what this calls out. Um, uh, any attempt to, to attempt to describe it any other way, I think, is misleading. But at the end of the day, it does not in any way uh, jeopardize any future funding. It simply says, you know, it's easy to make the hard, easy decisions. It's hard to make the hard decisions. So let's get to it. Thank you. I'm happy to take public comment now, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Supervisor. We will open this up to public comment. If there are any members of the public who would like to comment on this charter amendment, please line up to your right, my left. First speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Audrey Liu. I'm a resident of District 1. Can you pull I'm that microphone oh. close? Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Audrey Liu. I'm a resident of District 1, and I'm concerned that the Charter Amendment will affect SFMTA's ability to raise revenue for certain revenue measures. 
This charter will introduce a single point of failure that will directly affect the agency's ability to function. And quite frankly, our transit system is too important for that. While I understand the equity concerns about increasing parking meter hours, our goal should be both to allow the agency to raise revenues to prevent its over 200 million projected deficit, while also protecting low-income individuals who drive. Our transit system is baked in the fabric of how we move in San Francisco. It is critical for those who cannot even afford cars to get around. And based off the grandmas I talked to, it is critical for them to do their grocery shopping, to get from outer sunset to Chinatown, and it is a key solution in solving the climate change crisis. We shouldn't threaten its future by allowing a single person to be the sole arbiter over SFMTA's revenue decisions. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Afternoon. <clears throat> Afternoon, supervisors. My name is Cyrus Hall. I'm a sustainable transportation advocate here in San Francisco, and I'm here today to ask you to vote not for politics, but for policy. That means voting no on this charter amendment. There's been a lot of discussion over the last month about accountability, about parking equity, about fares. Um, but where are the voices talking about next year's $119 million SFMTA operational deficit? Where are the voices talking about the $230 million operational deficit the year after that? If those deficits come to pass, even in part, what we're looking at are transit service cuts. And those service cuts won't just be difficult for riders. For some, it's gonna mean the difference between a job and not having a job, between being stuck at home or getting out to see friends and family. You do not need to enable the position of the mayor with new power. Many of you have repeatedly criticized the mayor's powers as overly broad. So why are we sitting here today talking about giving the mayor new power? You, this body, you have the power every year when the SFMTA presents its budget to vote seven out of 11, two thirds, to return that budget to the agency and have a discussion with them and the mayor around the contents of that budget. If you think fare increases are onerous, which I agree they were during the pandemic, you have an opportunity to make that statement and send it back and work on that. That's accountability. When a group of legislators come together as a whole body and make a point, it's not giving a single elected individual the ability to line item veto revenue measures. All that does is enable special interest groups. And yes, the mayor does sit on issues on the board all the time, but this doesn't actually make that transparent. That would be a different charter amendment that would make her have to register her opposition or support of individual measures. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Dylan Fabris, the community and policy manager at San Francisco Transit Riders. I'm here today to urge you not to approve the charter amendment proposal before you with or without the proposed changes. Uh, we're grateful for the dialogue we've had with you over the past several weeks, as well as the added changes, which moderately improved the proposal. But San Francisco Transit Riders remains against this charter amendment. It does not provide the politi political accountability we need at SFMTA and opens its budget up to additional political meddling. This amendment gifts the mayor greater power to control parking meters, but fails to hold anyone accountable for the service cuts that will be a direct result 
of insufficient funding in the absence of fee or meter hour increases. Even with the proposed changes, this amendment would introduce unnecessary political interference in SFMTA's budgeting process at the expense of transit riders, who will often be the first to feel the impacts of inadequate budgets in the form of service cuts. Hundreds of thousands of San Franciscans rely on Muni to connect them with jobs, healthcare, food, and essential services. SFMTA must be allowed to maintain all the budgetary tools necessary to ensure these connections are not severed. In the face of climate change and the looming fiscal cliff facing SFMTA and other transit agencies, it is more crucial than ever to ensure that SFMTA can balance its budget with minimal cuts to transit service. I look forward to working with you all to identify funding and accountability measures to ensure that SFMTA's budget is adequate and transparent. This proposed charter amendment is not that solution. I urge you to vote no on the amendment and its proposed changes before you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Um, good afternoon. My name is Amy Cleary, and I'm here on behalf of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association in support for this charter amendment. Earlier this year, the GGRA and many community organizations opposed the SFMTA plan to extend parking meters. While we understand the significant financial challenges that SFMTA is facing and strongly support the need for a robust public transportation system in the city, this plan was ill-conceived and the implementation plan was problematic. Although we are grateful that the program has been paused for further study, it illustrates a need for greater oversight of certain SFMTA programs. As such, we believe that the additional oversight provided by this charter amendment would benefit San Francisco and our small business community. We thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Christopher Peterson, and I'm speaking today on behalf of the San Francisco League of Conservation Voters. We strongly oppose the proposed uh, charter amendment. Muni faces severe budgetary challenges in the coming years. Now is not the time to make it more politically difficult for Muni to raise desperately needed funds. Moreover, the amendment is contrary to the Charter's Transit First policy, which calls for prior prioritizing transit over cars. It undermines the city's climate action plan, which calls for 80% of all trips to be low carbon by 2030. And it contradicts this board's, excuse me, this board's own climate emergency declaration. Of course, parking meters are controversial, but if the board opposes expanding parking meter hours, it should provide Muni with other new sources of revenue. The likely outcome of this measure is more service cuts, cuts that will harm businesses citywide, but it notably weasels out of increasing political ac accountability for doing that. Please reject this charter amendment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm here with my, uh, um, my name is Abdul Hadwan. I'm with the CIU Local 87. And I'm here with my members and also some e-boards from our Local 87 here in San Francisco. We are here just to let you know we are 3,000 members who work at night from mostly from 5 p.m. till 12 midnight, sometime 2 a.m. And we are deeply affected by this measure if it doesn't pass. So uh, if they push the hours until 10 p.m., it's going to affect us more likely 
and it's gonna uh, it's gonna make us more stressed more than it's beside what we are facing right now layoff and vacancy so please uh, help us by uh, voting yes on this measure today thank you so much thank you are there any other members of the public who would like to testify on this committee of the whole on the SFMTA charter amendment seeing none public comment is closed and madam clerk we can go to item 20 and that this hearing has been heard and filed on item 20 supervisor walton walton i supervisor chan chan i supervisor dorsey dorsey no supervisor engardio engardio no supervisor mandelman no Mandelman, no. Supervisor Melgar? No. Melgar, no. Supervisor Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston? Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan? Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. And Supervisor Stephanie? No. Stephanie, no. There are six ayes and five noes with Supervisors Dorsey, Engardio, Mandelman, Melgar, and Stephanie voting no. The motion is approved, and on the item 21, a roll call, please. On item 21, Supervisor Walton. Uh, Mr. President, just yes. for the record, we are this voting is the continuance. to continue the item to November 20th. Or, yes, this is to continue item 21, the Charter Amendment for the SFMTA to Monday the 20th. On that item, a roll call, please. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. And Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. There are 11 ayes. The motion is approved. Madam Clerk, let's go to roll call for introductions. Supervisor Walton, you are first up to introduce new business. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Submit. Submit. Thank you. Next is Supervisor Chan. Submit. Thank you. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Madam Clerk. <clears throat> Colleagues, I have an in memoriam today for Brandon McCapes, who died unexpectedly at his home in San Francisco last month. He was 33 years old. Brandon was a talented journalist and explorer, a warm and loving friend and family member, and a valued and admired member of San Francisco's recovery community, which was inestimably enriched by his experience, strength, and hope, and the support of heart he generously offered to others whose journey and recovery he shared. Born in Sacramento on July 11, 1990 to Jennifer Ramsey and Jeffrey McCapes, Brandon graduated from Davis High School in 2008 and went on to study at Santa Barbara Community College, UC Santa Barbara, and Santa Rosa Junior College. At SRJC, Brandon found his calling as a journalist for the college newspaper, The Oak Leaf. There, a globally watched news event became a focus for Brandon's tireless news coverage and photojournalism the devastating Sonoma County wildfires of 2017, which remain among the most destructive disasters in California history. Brandon's photos, videos, and written accounts of that devastation 
were picked up by national news outlets, including ABC News and Shared Worldwide. Following the wildfires, Brandon went on to report on myriad other topics for which he received no fewer than 14 state and regional awards for his talents as a writer, videographer, photographer, and copy editor. Apart from being a promising young journalist, Brandon was a beloved son, grandson, brother, twin, cousin, nephew, uncle, friend, animal lover, student, writer, artist, traveler, hiker, hiker rugby player, and more. Brandon is survived by his parents, mentioned earlier, his siblings, Justin McCapes, Tyler Austin, along with his sister-in-law, Jennifer Austin, Dylan McCapes, along with his sister-in-law, Jack Jacqueline Wall, and Emma McCapes, his nieces, Elizabeth Austin, Francis McCapes, and Olivia Austin, and his grandparents, Diane Ramsey and Richard McCapes. Those who knew Brandon best note that everywhere he lived, from Italy to New York City to San Francisco, his charm and intelligence drew many friends, including some who were like family to him. He was a regular at local recovery meetings, including LGBTQ meetings at the Castro Country Club, and also meetings right here in City Hall. Um, I got to know Brandon over the course of many months at a Life Ring Secular Recovery Meeting, which takes place every Friday at 12 noon, just down the hall on the second floor of City Hall. Some here may have seen or even met him. It is a counterintuitive truth about recovery communities, especially when they are centered around small, tight-knit meetings, that they can forge bonds that are both simultaneously superficial and intimate. You may not know a person's last name, but you come to know their fears and their struggles, their hopes and aspirations, and you root for them. On behalf of all of us from the Friday Life Ring meeting, we are heartbroken by Brandon's loss and saddened to know that the hopes we rooted for won't be realized. To Brandon's family and loved ones, please know the important uh, difference he made in our recovery journeys. We appreciated him and we miss him. Rest in peace, Brandon Capes. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Next up is Supervisor Rangardio. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Mandelman. Submit. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Melgar. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Peskin. Submit. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, colleagues, uh, I'd like to adjourn today's meeting in memory of the late Felicia Smith, uh, a dedicated housing justice activist who worked tirelessly to support the residents of the Tenderloin uh, and beyond. Uh, Felicia passed away last month, surrounded by her family. Felicia Smith was born on August 17, 1961, at 29 Palms, a military base in California. Her early life was, by any measure, exceedingly difficult. And shortly uh, after her first birthday, she was taken in by her adoptive family. Uh, her adoptive mother, Beatrice J. Hesley, uh, took in Felicia. She spent her early years growing up in small towns throughout the state of Michigan. In 1980, she migrated with her adoptive brother to San Francisco, and shortly after was married and had two children, Kim and Ellie. Felicia Smith, from the start, persevered through tremendous adversity, and for a time in San Francisco, uh, experienced homelessness. Through this experience, she began uh, to become politically active, and as she found stability in her life, she eventually found home uh, in the Union Hotel in the Tenderloin. And she vowed to help others 
lead dignified lives in their homes, in their community. Felicia was an activist who cared deeply about the Tenderloin, not just about SRO residents, but about uh, families, small business owners, and everyone in the community. In her many years volunteering with the Central City SRO Collaborative, uh, she got involved in supporting all the efforts of the organization by participating as a member of uh, the SRO Collaborative's Land Use Committee, a Women's Group, Public Safety Committee, um, and active uh, being actively involved in pedestrian safety efforts in the Tenderloin. She also worked as a Tenderloin tour guide and volunteered her time with the Tenderloin Museum. Felicia worked on a number of community benefits packages for new developments in the neighborhood and collaborated closely with La Voz Latina families uh, to make sure Macaulay Park and uh, Turk and Hyde were renovated and to ensure that they were accessible not only for families, uh, but for seniors and those with disabilities. She had recently moved back to Michigan to spend the final chapter of her life with her adoptive mother and brother. Uh, her brother, Matt, recalls her weekly visits there uh, to a nursing home in the neighborhood um, which served primarily patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, a musician at heart, Felicia found joy in singing hymns and choruses to the patients, br bringing light to those during their time of great need. Our city and the Tenderloin neighborhood in particular was blessed to have Felicia's light shine on us. She cared deeply for her fellow neighbors and did everything in her power to make sure people could find dignity in their homes and stability in their lives. I extend my deepest condolences to Felicia's family and loved ones. Rest in power, Felicia Smith. May your memory be a blessing. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, colleagues. Today I also have an in memoriam, but before that, uh, if you'll indulge me to make a few remarks about um, the street vending in the mission. Um, and I'm gonna do it bilingually since I see many street vendors here. Uh, I was also uh, absent last week when our DPW workforce that is enforcing the permit law came and gave really disturbing testimony and I wanted to speak to that. Um, eh, voy a empezar hablando de la situación de los vendedores ambulantes en uh, español y inglés uh, para que todos entiendan eh, lo que está pasando en completo y las estrategias de la ciudad. So, those of you that know the mission know that we've had street vending uh, kind of always or for a very, very long time. Uh, it has been a wonderful part of the culture of the Mission District. Uh, many street vendors sell goods from uh, Central America and Mexico, some handmade, some sharing artisan goods from, from home. And it's been something uh, that we've loved and has never caused a problem in the district until recently. Eh, los que conocen la misión saben que la, los vendedores ambulantes siempre han sido parte de la misión, que han sido parte de la cultura, que la gente que, que hacen artesanía o compran 
uh, eh, cosas de, la, de Centroamérica y de México y traen estas bonitas eh, artesanías a la misión. Siempre ha sido algo bueno y parte de la misión hasta que muy reciente. Uh, two things happened that changed the atmosphere in the mission. The first was SB 946, a well-intentioned state law that went awry. And the second was the pandemic and just the overwhelming need of people uh, to survive and, and make money. Dos cosas pasaron para cambiar la situación en la misión. El primero era el SB 90, 946, una ley que tiene, tenía buena intención, pero que cambió completamente la cultura de los vendedores ambulantes en la misión. Y el otro fue la pandemia, lo cual eh, creó muchísimo más necesidad que aún antes. And after the pandemic and after the legalization of street vending by SB 946, uh, there became a huge extortion uh, problem and uh, vending of stolen goods, I would say fencing of stolen goods in the mission. And this new uh, phenomenon and, 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 and uh, ambience in the mission brought with it violence, extreme violence. One vendor was murdered by another uh, uh, you know, accused vendor. Uh, there's been assaults, extortion, chaos, violence, uh, just an untenable situation in the streets. Y después de pasó la ley 946, eh, vinieron un nuevo tipo de vendedor ambulante a la misión. Eh, estos son personas que vendan eh, productos robados. Eh, vinieron con eh, una viol violencia bastante preocupante. Eh, un vendedor ambulante es acusado de haber matado otro eh, vendedor am am ambulante. Hubo, eh, or, 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 todavía, todos los días hay asaltos, extorsión, eh, caos, violencia de, de, de muchos tipos. And as we also heard last week, our own city workers are scared for their lives and being assaulted to the point that they're wearing bulletproof vests to work and they're begging their unions to intervene so that they no longer have to do work in the mission. I've, I've frankly never seen anything like this in the city. Incluso nuestros propios trabajadores de la ciudad del DPW están siendo víctimas de este, estos eh, vendedores ambulantes que están vendiendo cosas robadas. Eh, eh, sus vidas eh, están siendo amenazadas. Eh, ellos, para sentirse un poco seguro en su trabajo, están llevando cha chalecas de antibala. Eh, están eh, pidiendo a su sindicato que, por favor, eh, no quieren trabajar en la misión porque teman por sus vidas. Es horrible. And this is besides the damage to the small businesses and the public that the chaos in the streets has caused. Many of the small businesses in the mission are also 
owned by low-income immigrants, and they barely survived the pandemic. And the fact that the streets are blocked and that there are people selling the same products at half the price because they're stolen goods has undermined the brick-and-mortar businesses who pay taxes, who pay their workers, who pay rent. Um, and then the public, public transportation. I can't tell you how many families and elders in the Mission District will no longer use BART or the bus at 24th Street or 16th because of the absolute chaos and because they too fear for their lives. Y el daño a los negocios pequeños. Hay negocios pequeños que también son, eh, 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 proveen trabajo a inmigrantes de bajos recursos que ellos pagan los impuestos, pagan al alquile, eh, pagan sus trabajadores, eh, pero no van a po poder sobrevivir si la gente enfrente de su negocio están eh, vendiendo la misma cosa para la mitad del precio porque eh, la, los productos son robados. Además, no puedo explicar el número de familias y, y eh, abuelas y abuelos que me dicen que ya no usan el transporte público en el CAI 24 o el CAI 16 porque temen también por su seguridad y su vida. So I have been dealing with this in the mission for the past couple of years, and I have to say I have done this in uh, the most responsible way possible. I tried to create a permitting system that didn't involve the police um, so that we could allow the vendors who've always been there to continue vending while getting rid of the violence and the stolen goods market. But I have to say it has not worked. It has not worked for a number of reasons. We don't have the city staff to enforce the law 24 hours a day, um, but it hasn't worked because it's easy to, to get around, to fake receipts, to inform each other. It just, it doesn't work. And sometimes we try things and have to admit when they do not work. Uh, yo he tratado esta situación intentando mejorarlo durante eh, más que un año. Empecé con una ley para dar permisos a vendedores eh, eh, responsables, eh, pero la realidad es que no ha funcionado, que uh, no tenemos bastante personal para eh, hacer cumplir los vendedores ambulantes con esta ley y también es fácil eh, evitar la ley con recibos falsos, con notificar a, a la gente cuando ven, vienen los, los trabajadores de la ciudad, etcétera, etcétera. Y a veces es necesario probar algo y si no funciona, probar otra cosa. In, to end here, because we're going to hear a lot of public comment today, and I want everyone to know the facts. Um, we are balancing a lot of different interests. We are balancing the interests of the small business owners. We are balancing the interests of the hardworking vendors who are not doing anything wrong. We are balancing the interests of people who need to use the public sidewalks and walk and use public transportation. And we are balancing the interest of our city workers who have been threatened and assaulted and are in danger. And as a supervisor, when you have to balance lots of different interests, it's not always easy, but I think we're doing a darn good job of it. Here is what we are doing. We are outlawing, uh, starting November 27th, 
um, vending at all on the streets of Mission Street, um, not of the Mission, of Mission Street, where there, there's the biggest problem, from Division to uh, Cesar Chavez. Uh, you no longer, no matter what kind of trabajador uh, ambulante you are, whatever uh, vendor you are, you cannot sell on, on, on Mission Street. However, we have rented a storefront on Mission Street where legitimate vendors, the vendors who are just trying to make an honest living, who have to support their family, are going to be able to sell from. We are working with BART and we'll have very limited permanent spaces on the BART Plaza itself for legitimate vendors who are trying to make a legitimate living for their family to sell. And then on 24th Street in the parking lot where there was formerly a vaccine site that's closing down, we're gonna have spaces for legitimate vendors to sell their goods. So we're having off-street spaces in the exact same neighborhood where there's dignified bathrooms, there's uh, tables, uh, where people that aren't, aren't selling stolen goods but are uh, trying to make a living and support their families are gonna be able to vend. But we are not gonna allow the vending of stolen goods on Mission Street any longer. And uh, I, I, I think this is uh, the most responsible way to protect all parties involved. Entonces, lo que vamos a hacer es lo siguiente. Empezando el 27 de noviembre, y, uh, and I just want to say we've done significant outreach, despite what you'll hear about this, uh, y hemos hecho bastante alcance para uh, avisar a todos los vendedores ambulantes eh, vamos a prohibir eh, la venta en la, la misma calle Misión entre Division y César Chávez. Pero nosotros alquilamos una tienda en la misma calle Misión donde los vendedores ambulantes legítimas van a poder entrar adentro de esta tienda donde hay baños, donde va, vamos a tener orden. Eh, donde pueden eh, continuar vendiendo sus productos legítimos y ganarse la vida y, y, y proveer para sus familias. También estamos trabajando con BART para dar algunas plazas en, eh, 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 o algunos eh, lugares en las mismas plazas del 24 y del 16 para eh, eh, vendedores ambulantes legítimas y también en el parking lot en la calle 24 eh, donde antes estaban dando a, a la gente las vacunas, eh, van a tener plazas allí los eh, vendedores legítimas para vender sus cosas. Pero ya no vamos a permitir que la gente vendan productos robados en la misión. Ya no vamos a, per, a permitir la violencia, la extorsión, la, eh, lo, la matanza, los asaltos, etc. Y ya no vamos a tolerar eh, la violencia en contra de los mismos trabajadores de la ciudad. So I just wanted to explain everything clearly because there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people saying you're, you're destroying my life. There's a lot of people saying we're anti-immigrant. There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff. But I wanted you to understand what we're doing, which I think is incredibly responsible and important. Entonces, para terminar, solo quiero decir que escuchan los datos de mí, de mí porque mucha gente está diciendo mentiras. 
que estamos anti-inmigrante, que, no, eh, que nosotros eh, uh, está, uh, está, no, no, no nos importa que la gente pueda ganarse la vida para sus familias, cosas así. Y es simplemente no la verdad. Nosotros estamos siendo lo más responsable posible para proteger los diferentes intereses que son muchos en esta área, pero ya no vamos a permitir la violencia, especialmente en contra de nuestros trabajadores de la ciudad. And I look forward to hearing your public comments. Eh, eh, estoy eh, eh, con mucho gusto y, y mucha uh, um, atención. Quiero escuchar su comentario público. Thank you, colleagues, for, for permitting me to explain that. Next, uh, very sadly, I have an in memoriam um, today. I want to lift up the life of a wonderful, wonderful woman that we so sadly lost on October 31st, Maria Reyes Garcia. Originally from Tlaxcala, excuse me, Mexico, um, who was a beloved, beloved member of our community and a powerful mujer who lost her battle with cancer. She was a loving and fierce mother and a central member of the Latino Task Force family. Maria fought long and hard to stay as long as she could and was proudly able to watch her son graduate the fifth grade. She is survived by her two beautiful sons, Eddie Rayland Reyes, her youngest son, who is 11 years old, and her oldest son, Hugo Lazarus Reyes, who's now an adult. Maria, proud citizen of the United States, was a single mother who lived in San Francisco over the last 16 years, spending her most recent years in the Tenderloin neighborhood, where she developed strong bonds and friendships. Maria has always been a very good friend to her neighbors, fellow church members and community members, not only in the Tenderloin, but also in the Mission District, Bayview, and throughout the city. She was a longtime member of Circulo de Vida, the first successful Spanish lingual support group for Latinx community living with cancer and their loved ones in the greater Bay Area, where she inspired so many with her strong spirit and willpower to survive. As a member and leader in Circulo de Vida, Maria gave countless others hope and loving support. Maria overcame a great deal of obstacles and isms in her short but beautiful 47 years of life. She encouraged other women to stay positive, enjoy every precious moment they had with their loved ones, something she demonstrated in her own life every single day. Maria was a community member of Mission Language Vocational Services, where she also made a big impact, especially in the lives of the youth and peers of her son. She participated in field trips during the summer program in the Latino Fast Force Hub in order to spend every possible moment with her youngest son, Eddie, and every school he attended was touched by Maria's warm and humble spirit. Maria worked as a carpenter and floor layer and was always very proud of the work she did as a blue collar worker, which allowed her to support her parents in Mexico and pay for her oldest son's tuition. With her support, he graduated high school and attended university. Maria was a fierce warrior who would not allow herself to be taken advantage of. Anyone who knew her grew in strength by being witness to her valiant demeanor. And finally, this tribute would not be complete without mentioning her exceptional cooking. Our community members will remember the delicious dishes Maria would cook for so many events over the years. She was known for her tamales, enchiladas, flautas, tacos, taquitos de queso, and more. Maria cooked for her community as a way of giving thanks for the love shared with her and her youngest son. Maria's fierce and tender spirit will live on through her two proud and amazing sons, the Cesar Chavez community, Bessie Carmichael community, and the entire Latino task force are mourning over her loss. 
After fighting cancer for years, she lost her battle, but not before leaving a lasting legacy through her sons and her work supporting so many members of our community. May her memory and beautiful spirit live on in all those she loved. Rest in power, Maria Reyes Garcia. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Uh, I'll try to be uh, quick. Um, but colleagues, today I'm introducing an ordinance uh, prohibiting the Recreation and Park Department and the Planning Department uh, from performing environmental review uh, of project cleanup and reconstruct the Marina Harbor in a manner that would extend the West Harbor Marina by more than 150 feet from its current boundary. I want to thank President Peskin for his partnership on this legislation and an ongoing effort to ensure that the community has a voice in this process uh, and we can preserve a critical city asset as remediation plans uh, move forward. On October 17th, I submitted a resolution urging Rec and Park to, to engage in a transparent process uh, that provides the community with an opportunity to provide feedback and vote on the marina improvement and re remediation project plans. On October 19th, the Rec and Park Commission moved forward with a public hearing on their proposed design in which the community had already consi expressed considerable concerns. The public testimony on October the 19th hearing was overwhelmingly opposed to Rec and Park's current design proposal, which would significantly interfere with the public's access to the Marina Green open space and makes no effort to preserve this iconic city asset. We've heard loud and clear from the community that it's, it's in support of a design that accomplishes environmental cleanup as it is the intent of the settlement while preserving the existing accesses and use of the marina green and harbor in that area. Frankly, the idea of placing boats and other obstructions across the entire West Harbor that would restrict or almost outright eliminate public access and prevent children and families and all others who currently enjoy this recreation opportunity and this open space affords is pretty outrageous in our city. Furthermore, we believe and I believe that pursuing such an option would needlessly divert attention and resources away from more feasible and superior alternatives. All of us who's enjoyed visiting the Marina Green and the West Harbor, uh, and I am certain can attest how amazing it is and that we in San Francisco have such an access to this beautiful recreation space. We also know the immense benefits that being outdoors and close to the water has for our mental health and that of our youth and families. Why would we proceed with any project that limits this access to such an asset? Colleagues, the legislation is not intended in any way to delay this project. Instead, it urges Rec and Park to change direction and look at additional op options that will achieve what the project is intended to do. Environmental cleanup, preservation of existing uses, and, and access and use of the marina green are preserved. I believe that Rec and Park can and must work with the community to accomplish the remediation efforts without compromising the preservation of this city asset, nor financial solvency. Um, and we have begun asking the BLA to look at an analysis of the existing economic benefits of the uses there and determine some alternative ideas. I want to thank uh, neighbors, uh, community stakeholders, again, President Peskin, 
and others who have done a great job of lifting the concerns and importance of the preservation of this open space for generations San Franciscans alike to continue to enjoy. And I just want to say lastly, um, this is not about views. This is about uses. And we can do this and we can achieve an equitable outcome that will preserve and ensure both are achieved. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, I would like to close today's meeting in memory of Fred C. Chan, a cherished member of our community who passed away on October 17th at the age of 95. Fred was the son of Ming Chu Chan and Ying Shi, and the stepson of Wok Shi. Fred was born on March 28, 1928, in Oakland, California. He attended school in Hong Kong before returning to his family's home on Clay Street in Chinatown after the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. He would go on to graduate from Galileo High School in 1947. He furthered his education at the University of California, Berkeley, and earned a degree in civil engineering in 1951. Fred dedicated 38 years to serving the San Francisco Department of Public Works from 1952 to 1990. His people skills particularly shone when he later became a manager. Fred also had a romantic spirit. He once drove from San Francisco to Vancouver, Canada to see his then-girlfriend Carol during their courtship. In 1961, Fred married Carol Lang Chan. Together, they moved to their house on Fairfield Way, where they remained until now. The family enjoyed numerous road trips together, often accompanied by their beloved dogs, Rocky and Cappy. Their son, Andrew, was born in 1970, completing their family. Coach Andy, as he is now known, is the head coach for the cross-country and track and field team at Sacred Heart Cathedral Preparatory. He's also a graduate of Lowell High School. Fred was passionate about cars and drove his Ford Thunderbird and later Mercury Cougar everywhere. His hobbies varied over the years from bowling and ballroom dancing to golfing and tap dancing, which he pursued for over 40 years. A sports enthusiast, Fred was a lifelong fan of the 49ers, Giants, Warriors, and Cal teams. He also took great pride in his yard and was famous for his Sunday waffles, a tradition he maintained throughout his life. Fred loved music, particularly the musical Student Prince and all Christmas carols. He firmly believed in the U.S. Constitution and was diligent about staying informed, and he made certain to vote in every election. He was preceded in death by his siblings, Betsy, Rose, Albert, and Calvin. He leaves behind his wife, Carol, son, Andy, daughter-in-law, Melinda, and several nieces and nephews. Fred's legacy is one of love, commitment, and a zest for life that touched all who knew him. As we remember Fred today, let's celebrate the life of a man who lived with passion, dedication, and a deep love for his family and community. On behalf of the Board of Supervisors, I would like to extend my condolences to the Chan family and friends for losing a beloved community member here in San Francisco. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Mr. President, seeing no names on the roster, that concludes the introduction of new business. Let's go to general public comment. All right, during general public comment, you can speak to items 27 and 28, which are on the for adoption, <clears throat> excuse me, without reference to committee calendar. All other agenda content will have been reported out to the board by an appropriate committee where your, uh, the public comment requirement has already occurred. You may speak to general matters that are not on today's agenda, but they must be within the board's subject matter jurisdiction. All right, let's have our first speaker, please. Welcome.
We're setting the timer for two minutes. Unless if you need interpretation assistance, we'll offer you double the time. All right, welcome. Pas de français encore, but we, you can't be out of the woods uh, without a vision, especially, you know, now the, the, the trees don't burn anymore for whatever reason, it's interesting. Things around, burn. okay, anyway, to, to create the new system of education, you need a vision, otherwise, no way. So, please, it starts by this new system of education for San Francisco, it starts here. Start by understanding, making everybody understand how to be happy. That's the first thing. So you use beauty to be happy. That's your reason for being. After that, you are told to own yourself. So you pay attention. After that, it's to avoid any formatting of the system of education. You teach kids, I mean, it starts a few years, and you understand what they are good at. And then you don't push maths for everybody, for example. If you are not good at it, forget it. Focus on what you're good at because then you can specialize and be good at what you do and be happy, therefore. Okay, anyway, so you go on uh, here because if you want, I'm sorry, but the level of intelligence has been very down, going down, down, down. It's amazing. It's not your fault, it's just a contamination. Now it's below, I think, the uh, uh, lowest point in Death Valley. It's below sea level. So when you are there, you cannot but look up. So you look at the skies and you see the stars, they are there. Yeah. And you see, oh wow, there is a problem with the skies. Somebody is messing up with the skies, putting ugliness. So whoever is messing up with the skies, still today, you didn't pay attention. Listen, now you are done. This is game over for you because you did it too long. So now you're gonna finish your life, unfortunately, unhappy, ugly, sorry, it's too late. And your descendants are going to pay for you. Now, keep going if you want. It's going to make it worse for them. I don't think it's a good idea. So you should stop. At least they might pay a little less. It's already financed, and by the way, we're going to, the new system of education, because it's paid for. Thank you for your comments. Welcome, next speaker. This is a complaint and a further demonstration to further expose how corrupt Joe Biden and his son is, and also that leader of China. I object to Prime Minister Yi coming here and having a red carpet rolled out in front of him like he's some kind of fair person when he's got South Africa apartheid taking place in China against people who are the same nationality as himself, but the only difference is they're Uyghurs, and you're treating them like slaves, and you're raping their females in these concentration camps. Joe Biden and his son is getting multi-millions of dollars under the table from China. He's just been busted with $240,000 checks that's been given to him, cycled and serviced on a loop from China to his bank account. And about Gavin Newsom going over to China, acting like he's making some deals with China, right now at the present time, the United States got $375 million negative cash flow transacting import business with China. And that other additional cabinet member, Yellen, who's supposed to be in charge of finances, she's talking about she's working on a deal for seven, $378 billion with China, that'll be an even bigger negative cash flow for the United States. And about that Wuhan lab, Dr. Fauci 
and the bat lady, Miss Yee, they're responsible for multi-millions of people losing their lives, especially here in the city and county of San Francisco. So for him to get treated like this, I object to that. And then another thing, what is Newsom doing over there? And this is for you, David Chu. You better look at that contract that he signed while he was over there to make sure he didn't sign an agreement where President Yi of China can make a Wuhan lab here in San Francisco. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. I have a handout for every board of supervisors. Yes, we'll come, if I could. We'll come collect that from you right now. Thank Perfect. you. Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. Uh, my, my name is Chris Wertlein, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what's called state secrets privilege, which is also called voice technology, and how we're going to solve the eighth grade algebra, because um, they're connected, because it's mathematics. Um, the first page I handed out to you kind of gives you an overview of the state secrets privilege and how it's used and the protections built into the, the Constitution. Um, the second page are uh, case laws that only allow it for legal, lawful usages. Uses it. Um, I point out Black versus the United States, Central Pines Land Company versus the United States, DTM Research versus AT&T, because it's AT&T technology with FirstNet. Look in front of each of you, and you have a, co a computer. FirstNet can actually attach to any computer you have and the mayor's office can illegally influence you, which she did today when you voted for the eighth grade algebra. I would really seriously reconsider the vote on that topic. Um, according to Forbes, um, AI bots called voice bots were used during the pandemic, not to place a phone call, but for somebody to turn on, turn on your computer, the audio, to question you through audio bots. And this is also being used for, if you have a prescription, to remind you. So if your prescription is every four hours, you get a voice bot activated. Now you, you're reminded by voice technology to take your medicine. And I'm gonna point out Carpenter versus United States, which makes it illegal for this activity to happen. And the algebra equation, if plane A leaves New York at 850 miles per hour is algebra. They're trying to keep everyone uneducated. And that's why, because people are using it illegally. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Rodrigo Lopez. I'm on the street vendor on Mission Street. Uh, can you please ago, speak directly into the microphone? Yeah, so three we weeks can ago, we were, uh, we're here in the news about the uh, street vendor on Mission Street. Uh, we don't hear nothing from the city, from the uh, DPW, or from nobody else. We hear from the news. I believe there's a lack of communications between the city, DPW, supervisors, and us. Uh, there is a big difference between illegal vendor and legal vendor. The city of the uh, DPW asked me to register as a small business owner. We did it. So that's a big difference. We register as a, a small owners. We do have a, a business license 
and uh, we comply with the city. So why every time someone on the media, because not even the city or supervisors talk to us, oh, there is no communication between uh, the city and us, they always say the street uh, uh, illegal vendors. They don't, uh, they don't have any like a separate between street legal vendors and um, legal vendors. And also, there, is a, there was supposed to be 90 days ban, which is going to be permanent. From I, what I hear from you, sounds like it's going to be permanent. We like to be more transparency. We like to hear more from the city. When it's time to do my uh, taxes, we receive an email from the city. When it's time to renew my uh, license, we receive an email from the city. How can this time we receive no communications? Nothing, zero. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Yo voy a hablar en español. If you're going to translate for him, can you stand at the other uh, uh, microphone? And when he finishes, then you can provide mm -hmm. the translation. Thank you. Mi nombre es César Oyagata. Soy vendedor en la calle 23 y la misión. Vendo artesanías uh, de los nativos uh, del sur y Norteamérica. Uh, mi preocupación es uh, con respecto uh, con los tres meses que nos quieren uh, parar. Uh, ¿Qué garantías tenemos para regresar a tomar el, el permiso que tengo ahí al frente del banco? Eso es una so, pregunta. His, he said, my name is Cesar and I am a vendor from... Uh, before you begin, I will just say we, are, we usually set the timer for two minutes for him and then you can finish out his statements. Okay. I just didn't, we can't go back and forth. Okay, understood. Eso es uh, la primera pregunta. Y la segunda pregunta, ¿qué garantías tenemos nosotros uh, en cuanto a lo que hemos comprado, los productos para vender estos próximos uh, dos meses? Uh, si, uh, si ustedes nos mueven, vamos a quedar uh, sin, sin ningún um, dinero que podamos recuperarlo. Entonces, como vendedores... Eh, legales que tenemos permiso, estamos preocupados uh, porque la mayoría, hasta donde sé, pagamos cada tres meses los taxes y los permisos estamos en, en, eh, perfectamente en orden. Y también nosotros somos pequeños negocios. Yo tenía mi, mi negocio por 17 años, uh, pero por COVID lo perdí. Entonces, uh, aproveché a sacar el permiso con, con, con la policía y luego con la ciudad Uh, y, y es una preocupación para uh, perder estos uh, tres meses de, de cómo uh, voy a sobrevivir, porque tengo biles, biles eh, con, con todos los uh, gastos. Asimismo, estamos pasando todos los vendedores. Gracias. So, this is Cesar, a vendor from the mission, who is concerned uh, about the fact that the, the uncertainty of being able to come back as a street vendor after the 90-day term. Another concern um, is also um, that 
uh, these vendors are also small businesses that have been affected by things like COVID. He had a business, a business for 17 years pre-COVID. Then with COVID, that business failed, and he went through the right processes of getting a permit and being able to sell as a vendor and not going through this. Um, and these permits that they're paying every three months, they still have to pay those permits, um, even though they won't be able to, to continue their business for this 90 days. Um, and they also have a lot of merchandise that they had ready to, to, for the holidays and that they're going to be stuck with now without being able to pay for that. Another thing that these, uh, these vendors were asking for is that if there is going to be a 90-day ban where there are gonna, there's going to be an, a financial uncertainty, will the city do anything to help them financially through this time because they're banning them to be able to continue their business? Thank you. Okay, welcome. I'm just going to be translated for my mother. Okay. Buenas tardes a todos los supervisores. En especial le doy gracias a ustedes por darnos la gran oportunidad de podernos dirigir a ustedes. Yo les quiero pedir un gran favor. De verdad, con el corazón en la mano. Somos gente trabajadora. Somos gente que necesitamos de la ayuda de ustedes. Por favor, no todos trabajamos ilegales, no todos, todos tenemos nuestro permiso. Este es un panfleto que se los quiero llegar a hacer a ustedes, donde yo desde 2015 trabajo ahí. Miren, yo vendo artesanía, yo mantengo a mis hijos con el sudor de mi frente, con mi venta honrada. Asimismo, todos mis compañeros que están aquí, yo puedo dar fe de ellos que ellos venden cosas legales. Todos tenemos facturas y no recibos facturas contables porque pagamos taxes cada tres meses y uno de ellos al año, como ustedes lo saben. Lamentablemente, como decía la supervisora, por unos, por justos, por, por, por pecadores y por justos pagamos pecadores, o yo no es como algo así, perdón. Pero la verdad, les pido por favor que se pongan la mano en la conciencia. Nosotros no tenemos un cheque, dependemos de nuestras ventas. Yo, es el último año que mi hija va a salir, se va a graduar de abogada. ¿Cómo creen ustedes que yo le pagar los tres meses de universidad a ella? En mi país, la saqué de la universidad pública porque tres veces me la asaltaron y le pusieron la pistola en, en su cabeza. Tuve la necesidad de sacarla y pagarle una universidad pública. Somos gente. Gracias. Es um, hard for me to make this translation when emotions are in my heart as well. So basically what she's asking is for you guys uh, to think about that this is the way not only her, but all of them eat. I guess you already mentioned it. However, as far as I've been understanding, what's going on is that the information has to be, is not being transferred clearly. So not in translation, but what everybody's asking here is that you guys transfer the information uh, a little bit clearly and, and, and if you guys are going to have them permanently like that or if it's going to be just 90 days, that's what I have heard here. That's number one. Number two, they have been saying that they uh, are people or 
it needs to be more clear the way you guys are taking actions because not everybody is illegally selling, which is clear for everyone over here. And yeah, my mom says that, she, well, she's been paying all this for my sister in Guatemala, which is very difficult. Um, and she's been working in her in her store for from 2015 as well. And as so many of them, they've been there for a long time. So basically, the information needs to be transferred clear and that all of them are paying taxes from their stores as well. And they are definitely uh, doing this. As, as, as good as they can, and I guess this is obvious, right? That's why they are here, and we are all trying to have a, a very uh, good discussions about the topic and make this happen for the good of everyone. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Ron Carter. I'm here today because I actually am shocked uh, today to hear what's going on, but more, more of the reason I'm shocked is because I discovered that someone has scammed my food stamp benefits and erased and took $7,000 of my accrued food stamp benefits, which were accrued while I was homeless on the street or in a homeless shelter that went on for many years. And so I discovered when I finally got around to being able to try to use those benefits, when I went shopping, I found out that all my money was gone. And what hurts the most is when I walk up and down the streets of Mission Street, of which I am a resident, I discover and see people selling goods that I don't know where they came from. Where are these things coming from? Where are these people getting th these products? And in my mind, if I have to think or believe, I hate to think or believe that these things are being done by through theft of people's, you know, food stamp benefits. So I would hope the county would step up its efforts, and I want to be a part of that, to uh, ferret out and discover who is doing the fraud on food stamp accounts, and that I hope that they, the county will in, enforce stronger penalties against people who are frauding, not only people like me, poor people, but they're defrauding the city of San Francisco. And this, to me, is atrocious. I cannot believe that the city of San Francisco doesn't have an ability to protect us food stamp recipients. So I want to be a part of the picture of fighting this. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've been a hustler all my life, and I've been a street vendor, and I don't have anything against these people earning money. But if they're using stolen goods from people's food stamp accounts to get merchandise to sell on the street, I think that needs to be stopped. And I, I fully support that. Uh, we need to do something about this. Thank you. Okay. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name's Erin Roach, and I live in District 2. I just wanted to say that I'm fully supportive of what Supervisors Safai and Peskin have introduced today. Uh, being here reminds me that the city is a really pretty small place, and the Marina Green is the city's front yard, making that Marina Green accessible to everybody who can just drive up, park for free, not get sandy, experience the ocean, take a swim, go fishing, have a picnic, fly a kite, whatever it is. It's really important, and it should not be turned into a luxury yacht harbor. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. My name is Randy Borcherding, and I speak in favor of the ordinance protecting the marina waterfront introduced today. 
The open marina green waterfront has been used by and enjoyed by generations of San Francisco and Bay Area residents and by visitors domestic and international. It's a priceless San Francisco treasure and access must be maintained without the development that has been for over 100 years. I ask that you support by voting in favor of the passage. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. The Marina Green with the wide open uh, water view is truly a national treasure. So many people from different ethnicity and background, locals and tourists love and cherish this Marina Green. This huge open space is the backyard. It's the backyard for the public especially for people that live in one or two bedroom apartments. They go to Marino Green walking, playing soccer, volleyball, biking, or just sitting on a bench and meditate and watching pelicans and sea lions. So we never should allow anybody to take it away from the public. We never should allow anybody to take it away from the public and make this recreational place to commercial. That's why I support the ordinance, ordinance to leave this magnificent an iconic place the way it is in perpetuity. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Evelyn Graham, and I also live in District 2. Um, I'm here to urge you, really urge you, to pass, uh, to support the Peskin Sapa'i resolution regarding the Marina Green. That area is public access, and Every apartment dweller in this city probably has used it as their backyard or their balcony at some point, and certainly during COVID. The diversity of use is, is unique on the Marina Green. And I want to tell you, sitting here today, I realize there's a disconnect between you on the board and some of your departments, and including Rec and Park. They time and again seem to believe that the elderly, the disabled, uh, the, the poor, they, they lip service access and accommodation, but they don't deliver. And, you know, one example would be the UN Plaza, which I think was a disgrace. But this is an egregious example of Reckon Park giving public access over to private boat owners. And I really urge you to support the, the ordinance. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Hank Evans. I'm a resident of District 2. I just wanted to say I fully support the ordinance introduced by Supervisor Safai and Peskin because it preserves waterfront access on a paved level area that provides sufficient parking for people of all ages and physical abilities to come enjoy that waterfront access. Uh, when I walk my dog down that way, I always see that 
people are congregated in that area much more than any other part of the Marina Green or Gas House, Gas House Cove. I think it's very important to the city. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jay Connor Beertega, and I'm co-president of Iconic D3. I firstly want to say I'm really impressed with our ability to get the city clean in time for APEC. I'm super excited to show off the city. However, I do want to take this time to welcome back the supervisors who visited Japan, only to find out that we, the people have been saying for some time, education is best when it's not ran by racists. Now, since our supervisors are taking trips at taxpayers' expense, I definitely want to encourage our remaining supervisors to take a trip to El Salvador and see how they deal with the cartel drug dealers who want to poison any population. Now, there is something I must address. The tiny tyrant of Telegraph Hill is mad that voters get to have democratic elections to choose a candidate for public office. He's mad that we won't let individuals just slide into positions of power unchallenged. He says he wants an independent, unbiased, and a qualified judicial court, but he is begging other elected officials to join him to interfere with a democratic election. He is also mad at enough at our voters for removing the disgraced and former DA he supported that now he wants to limit our ability to hold any elected official accountable, which includes you all. Supervisors, I'm here to encourage you to not vote in favor of any of the tyrant's proposals, not to sign on any ballot initiative or any type of resolution that condemns any democratic election. But if you do, we will hold you to the anti-democratic position you stand on if you support any. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm John Trisvenia, a District 11 native and homeowner. I'm speaking on the Peskin Resolution on the danger of politicizing the judiciary. Regretfully, the real threat of politicizing the judiciary comes from the Peskin Resolution itself. We have a constitutional right to vote for Superior Court judges in California. It's in Article 6 of our Constitution. Please leave it alone. If there's one way to squander respect, it is when leaders tell the people not to do something they themselves have already done. The resolution criticizes San Franciscans for endorsing challengers to incumbent judges at the next election. That's the exact same thing Supervisor Peskin did in 2008 when your colleague Gerardo Sandoval ran against Judge Tom Mellon. And Supervisor Ronan did the same thing four times in 2018. It's on the agenda today, using a board policy reserved for non-controversial or commendatory resolutions. We have a constitutional right to vote for judges. Trust the voters, have a public hearing, or vote down the resolution today. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, my name is Jill Bittner, and I am speaking solely on my behalf and no other entity. I'd like to thank the members of the Board of Supervisors who are attempting to find a solution to the issue of keeping the Marina Green waterfront open and the support of all members of the Board of Supervisors in this endeavor. I firmly believe giving Rec and Park any leeway opens up the disastrous potential for Rec and Park to take advantage. I feel if you give Rec and Park a single inch of waterfront, they will take a mile. 
allowing Rec and Park to build any portion of their proposal in front of the Marina Green or Wave Organ could give them a foothold to implement their misguided plans that they have touted as an improvement. And we have not been made aware of this ordinance, even if it even addresses cleaning up the pollution in East Harbor. My position has always been to not build a new harbor in front of the Marina Green or Wave Organ, not a single slip, and to clean up and rebuild the East Harbor. I hope this is your objective as well. Lastly, in a separate but related issue, I'd like to make you aware that the newly placed Ferris wheel near Pier 39 also destroys our open waterfront views. Most residents do not want it there, but no one asked us. I hope its lease is short-lived. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Board of Supervisors. My name is Vid Prabhakaran. I serve as the president of the board of the San Francisco Bar Association. Uh, I come to voice my support for what I hope is a unanimous vote in support of item number 27. Support for an independent and impartial judiciary should be uncontroversial. After all, our democracy depends on it. Unfortunately, too many in this city have forgotten or chosen to ignore the lessons they learned in their high school civics class. In fact, I felt compelled to write an op-ed about it that you can find in today's Chronicle. Look, it's easy to scapegoat judges who ethically cannot stand up for themselves. So it's up to the rest of us and each of one, every one of you to stand up for them. A unanimous vote from this body in support of the judiciary means something. And it reminds San Francisco and San Franciscans that an independent judiciary, uh, that an independent judiciary is a fundamental part of our democracy here in this city. I'm a resident. I live in Supervisor Melger's district in West Portal, um, former neighbor of, of Mr. Engardio. Uh, I urge you all to vote for this, uh, this resolution. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Okay, next speaker. Shalom to everyone. My name is Salah Hakuya Chandler, and many people do know me as an abolitionist and a social justice fighter and a cultural ambassador for my people and for my nation. I'm here today to just acknowledge and for the secretary to give copies of this to the Board of Supervisors in regards to a remedy that's dealing with the mental wellness programs that's coming up for the trauma care program in January um, concerning the mothers and families of murdered children and also our cultural identity. I want to acknowledge the Korean Center that uh, is newly built over on Buchanan. I'm so happy that they have their, their consulate and also the El Salvadorians on Golden Gate that also have their consulate. We're requesting the address of 1536 for that to be our consulate to connect with Africa because we were kidnapped and brought here against our will and our identity was stolen. We want this home which is a historic building for, we're going to be extending an invitation for all Board of Supervisors to come over to the African American Art and Cultural District and view the historic building that we're requesting that it be our consulate to acknowledge our cultural African Hebrew nation identity. Thank you so kindly. I say to you once again, shalom in Hebrew means peace. Shalom. Thank you, Salah. You had something for us? We'll collect yes, that. Yes, please. We'll Thank you. From you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I pray everyone is doing well during these times. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. 
If there are any other members of the public who'd like to address the board during general public comment, now's your opportunity. Please get in line, otherwise this will be the last speaker. I'm oh. reading from the ESV, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And Barabbas uh, could literally say, he took my place. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer with arms, as all insurrectionists are, unlike Owen Schroyer and Joe Biggs and Enrico Terrio and the Proud Boys and Stuart Rhodes of Oath Keepers. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Now this comes from Hosea chapter 10 and Revelation 6. Uh, when Christ comes back and, and Jesus knew that 85 sabbatical cycles after Solomon's temple was destroyed, the second and last temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. And it certainly did typify the judgment day when Christ returns. He's not only going to punish the Jews for rejecting him, he's now going to punish the Gentiles that have rejected him. And it is a fact, an undeniable fact, that it was 595 years between the two events. They both happened on Sabbath years. They both happened on the exact day. And here we are at the end of 285 sabbatical cycles from when Christ was anointed. 285 or 1995 years. Thank you for your comments. All right, any other speakers in the chamber oh, yes. to address the board during general public comment? Okay, Mr. President. Public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, could you please read the adoption without committee reference calendar? Items 27 and 28 were introduced for adoption without committee reference. A unanimous vote is required for adoption on first reading today, alternately, uh, or alternatively, one member may request a reso on first reading to go to committee. Madam Clerk, I would like to sever item 27. Supervisor Ronan. Same. Uh, on, well, is there a motion to excuse Supervisors Walton and Stephanie? Made by Supervisor Safai, second by Supervisor Mandelman. We will take that without objection. Supervisors Walton and Stephanie are excused. And on item 28, I believe we can take that same house. Uh, we should take a roll call, Mr. President. Oh, yeah, excuse me, different house. What am I saying? Duh. <laughs> uh, roll call, please. On item 28, Supervisor Chan. Chan, I. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, I. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, I. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, I. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, I. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, I. Supervisor Preston. Preston, I. Supervisor Ronan. Aye. Ronan, I. And Supervisor Safai. Safai, I. There are nine eyes. The motion is approved. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 27? Item 27 is the reaffirmation of support for an independent, impartial, and qualified judiciary. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And before I call on Supervisor Ronan, 
uh, let me say I think this is actually a good thing to have extensive public conversation about and to that end uh, and despite the words from the president of the Bar Association, I think this would benefit from a discussion in a committee uh, and we'll send it to committee. Um, having said that, let me uh, say that my, I understand that these are elections that can be challenged uh, and indeed uh, I think I have personally learned the hard way uh, and my thinking about this has evolved over the last 20 years, uh, and I think I learned from my experiences in 2008, Commissioner Transvenia, uh, and that informed my behavior in 2018. Um, and I think we have to tread very, very carefully when it comes to judicial elections uh, and the independence of the judiciary. I think the statements uh, in supporting an independent, impartial, and qualified judiciary are self-evident, but I think this is a teachable moment and would benefit uh, from a robust committee hearing. And to that end, I will send it to committee. But before I do so, Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, I'm also uh, glad that this is going to committee because um, while uh, there's a lot I agree uh, with in this resolution, there are um, some things that I don't quite agree with. And so, um, if I could remove my name as a co-sponsor, I think there was some miscommunication in my office around that, um, which doesn't mean I won't support it in the end, but I just want more time um, to clarify a few things. Um, I don't necessarily think, look, whether or not judges should be running for office ever uh, is a fair question, and and perhaps that should not that should not be that we should just have a appointed judges to lifetime appointments or for a particular term. Um, but that is not the way the rules work. So I very proudly and very loudly supported the public defenders that ran um, last uh, last couple of rounds. And, and I did that uh, because I think it's great to have diversity on the bench. And uh, there are very few uh, public defenders that make it to the bench with appointments. It's often prosecutors. It's often people from uh, private practice. And um, I think that it, it's uh, good to have different people from different communities run. And so when uh, three public defenders of color ran for seats um, held by, you know, at the time it was a re one Republican um, sitting on the seat, uh, it, uh, and it was a couple um, of former prosecutors in private practice, I thought that was like, that was a good thing. And, and, and uh, I don't think that there's any particular rule, uh, it, as long as the rules exist that exist now, that, that, that uh, people shouldn't run against sitting judges. My problem with what's happening right now is something else. It's the fact that there is a very uh, well-funded, billionaire-funded campaign to attack certain judges that are perceived as too lenient in specific cases um, and an effort to incarcerate as many people as possible uh, in a, a new mass incarceration effort. 
and the two judges that have been targeted, um, A, preside over either preliminary hearings or special uh, courts. That ultimate aim is not to incarcerate people, but to deal with underlying mental health or substance use conditions. And that this attack on them is a part of a bigger attack on our city to go back on the failed uh, war on poor people, war on drugs policies that have gotten us here in the first place. And that's what this attacks on these judges are. We can't, uh, uh, if, if, if we wanna diversify the bench, I think that's great if there's some people running against each other. If um, there is a particular judge that um, has committed malfeasance, there are, there are reasons for there to be elections and competitive seats uh, for these positions. But to pinpoint a judge and how they dealt with a specific case is absolutely the wrong way about this. As the excellent uh, op-ed uh, today in the Chronicle that I agreed with wholeheartedly explained, that the, the laws are nuanced, that the, um, you know, applying law to fact in a particular case uh, it, it's impossible unless you're part of the entire process to, to, to make a judgment call on whether or not a judge did the right or wrong thing there. And then there is an appeal process if, um, the, you know, if, 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 if a, a plaintiff or a, or a defendant or if a prosecutor or a public defender think the judge got it wrong or think the jury got it wrong. And, and that's the proper process for questioning the outcome in a particular case. What's happening here today in San Francisco, the attack on these judges um, is not that. It is a political attack. It is part of a broader movement uh, to incarcerate the poor, uh, to uh, recommit to uh, war on drugs, and is a, a cynical attempt by billionaires uh, to continue to rule and have unfettered power and make uh, the type of profits that they've always been able to make. And that's why I am so against what is happening in, in these cases. And I'll be, uh, you know, on, uh, participating in the Democratic Party in defense of the judges that currently sit on, on the bench. So I, I just want to say I'm looking very forward to having a public discussion. I think these are critical and important issues that we should uh, be discussing. Um, and I look forward to being able to support uh, this resolution, um, even though uh, as currently written, I, I, I see it uh, slightly differently. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin and uh, uh, colleagues. I, I just wanna recognize and thank a number of you who I think share they um, are alarm at just uh, the current uh, level of um, attacks personally and doxing and so forth of judges and threats to judicial independence. I, I do want to address this, the, the, the merits of this a little and look forward to, and thank you, President Preskin, for uh, sending it to committee where I think they, there can be a more robust discussion. Uh, but before it heads there, I, I just want to say 
you know, first off, as, a, as an attorney and a member of Calif the California Bar, and his, who, someone who has read more than my share of cases, and am very familiar with the history of judicial decision-making in this country, and the many instances where the judiciary gets things wrong, like absolutely wrong, from the Dred Scott case to the Korematsu case, Citizens United, I mean, there is a long list, right? Um, so I have no problem with sharp criticism of judicial decisions and the judiciary. Um, I also share some of the concerns that are articulated in this resolution about potential conflicts of interest in having judges run for election to keep their seats. Uh, and my personal view, much as I, I think Supervisor Ronan indicated, you know, I, I would prefer a system without judicial elections for, for that reason. I think they're very problematic. Um, but that said, that's not the current system when it comes to state courts. And I think that people absolutely have the right to run against judges, and there's nothing inherently wrong with someone exercising that right. Um, and, I, and, and I would hope to make that clearer within the context of you know, any resolution on this topic. But, but here's what I want to be clear about and really invite all colleagues in the public to think about. There is a huge difference between critiques regarding legal interpretation and personal attacks on the judiciary and on individual judges for upholding the Constitution and applying the law in good faith, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. Um, since Donald Trump took office and, and left office, but since, since he became president, there has been a steady increase in the demonization of judges, of their clerks, of court staff, and others uh, who stand up to pressure from right-wing interests who would prefer that courts disregard the constitutional presumption of innocence or legal factors that must be considered in doing things that can be controversial, like setting bail, deciding what sentences are in criminal cases, ruling on motions, and so forth. Unfortunately, this is not just something happening in other parts of the country. San Francisco is not immune at all to this type of demonization of judges for applying the law with independence. This past August, the mayor and some members of this board of supervisors publicly railed against Chief Magistrate Judge Donna Ryu, appointed by President Barack Obama, for issuing a ruling against the city in regards to its practices of conducting sweeps against homeless people and their possessions. They whipped up anger at the judge outside the hearing on the city's appeal of Judge Rue's order. Our mayor rallied the crowd blasting Magistrate Judge Ryu, saying Ryu, quote, doesn't even live here as if the judge's personal residence, a judge in the regional northern district of California, were relevant to anything other than inciting anger toward her and sparking focus on her personal residence, a tactic regularly used by the right wing to harass and intimidate judges across this nation. Not to be outdone, Governor Gavin Newsom also publicly criticized the judge ruling and directed public ire toward the judge. As uh, Joe Kakura of SFS, the news site, summed it up, quote, 
Well, this is Trumpy, displeased with legal rulings blocking encampment sweeps, a testy Gavin Newsom declared he wanted to post, quote, in the governor's words, a big sign with the judge's phone number saying, call the judge. So colleagues, this is not how legal advocacy works. Uh, and it is beyond the pale for our governor and for any city officials to engage in this type of demonization campaign in retaliation for an adverse legal ruling against the city and in particular doxing judges, encouraging people to harass and intimidate them. So this type of action is intended for one thing. It's, as I mentioned, for harassment and intimidation of judges who are making decisions on the case. And let's be clear, advocacy groups outside of City Hall are clearly running with these tactics. They are clearly inspired by the Trumpy activities that are occurring across this nation and in San Francisco in targeting judges. That can be seen in many instances, including with anonymous posters going up in the Mission District attempting to paint judges as uh, excessively lenient when they do things like follow the law and release a woman who was four months pregnant so that she wouldn't give birth in custody. So I don't expect the reactionary groups, as Supervisor Ronan noted, funded by billionaires and appealing to the worst instincts of people in our city, um, I don't expect these groups to heed our call to respect the independence of the judiciary. Clearly, they have no interest or intention of doing that. I do expect, and I think we should all insist on members of this body, our mayor, our governor, should all refrain from encouraging or joining Trumpian tactics to intimidate judges and go further, not just refrain from encouraging and joining them, but to actively condemn them in every way possible. The core of this resolution, I believe, is that judicial independence is not only an asset, but also a necessity in our legal system. I agree with that uh, completely, and uh, I hope we can make some refinements uh, to focus on this uh, rather than sending a message around the propriety or impropriety of running against judges, which I think under our current system uh, is anyone's right to do. So I'm looking forward to the discussion uh, and ongoing engagement, and thank you, President Peskin, for bringing this forward. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Seeing no other names on the roster, the item is hereby sent to committee. Madam Clerk, would you please read the immemoria? Yes, and Mr. President, just for the record, that'll be the Government Audit and Oversight Committee. Yes, today's meeting will be adjourned in memory of the following beloved individuals on behalf of Supervisor Dorsey for the late Brandon McCapes, on behalf of Supervisor Preston for the late Miss Felicia Smith, on behalf of Supervisor Ronan for the late Miss Maria Reyes Garcia, and on behalf of Supervisor Stephanie for the late Mr. Fred Chan. We are adjourned.